Hey everybody, and welcome to another episode of MTG Rants. I'm Tannen Grace. As always, I'm joined by Ross and Mary. Ross, how are you doing today? I'm just glad I am doing great, Tannen. You're doing great? Well, I'm glad yeah. you're in a good mood, because I am not. So, Oof. I just have one of those days. I'll, I'll get over it. Talk, talking to you and getting to talk about BS. The Braves won last night, right? Yeah, we did clinch the division last night, which was really nice. Um, I had a, a bottle of champagne ready to go. It's a tradition I have every year if I'm at home and they're going to clinch or whatever. You know, you try to do it with the team. Uh, a couple of years ago, I wasn't able to do it because I was in the building when they clinched the division at home, <laughs> which was really, really cool to see that happen like in person. Yeah. And uh, like they do, they have this new tradition. So in center field uh, of their, <clears throat> of the ballpark, there's a waterfall and the players like go out uh, uh, and like congregate in the water they had to be very careful because it's like rocky and stuff and you could like slip and like i think someone actually got hurt once doing it but they all get like in the in the waterfall of like cigars and stuff and take pictures a lot of fun and stuff like that so um i don't know it was it was a good night you know i got to i, I got to celebrate with that uh you know i got to watch it with a buddy the other night which was a lot of fun and then we're about a week away from the playoffs so there's a couple games left in the regular season and then the playoffs start next week, and then I'll just be an actual nervous wreck. And we're going to be playing the Milwaukee Brewers the first round. Well, that's so. lucky because they have the third best record in the in the NL, and you'll be the worst record of all the playoff teams. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I mean, like it's it's just the way it is. It's it's. I have a yeah, feeling that they your division may... sucks. Yeah, our division was dog shit this year, and we were supposed to be the best division in like, <laughs> possibly in baseball. And like, if you look at it from a purely like vacuum standpoint. We had probably, like, some of the most talent per division, like, individually talented players, you get what I'm saying? Like, if you look at, like, the Mets, and you look at the Phillies, and you look at the Braves, and then if you, you know, you look at Washington before they, you know, blew up their whole team, this is a team that won the World Series, you know, two and a half years ago, and then you look at, like, Florida, who, like, I'm sorry, Miami, or whatever they are, the Florida Marlins, or whatever, um, they, uh... You know, they made the playoffs last year, and coming in this year, a lot of people really liked their team. They had a bunch of talent and stuff, and then, you know, some crazy stuff happened this year. Like, nobody was good, and then we played really well in the second half. Like, we were under 500. Like, we were the, I think it was, like, fourth all-time for most games under 500 on a year to make the playoffs or, like, win a division. We were, like, we were under 500 for, like, 108 games or something like that. It wasn't until wow. we were, like, 54 and 53 or something. I know, I know that's 107, but you get what I'm saying. Like, some ridiculous number or whatever. And um, a lot of big injuries this year and unfortunate things happened. Uh, I'm sure if you know anything about baseball, you know about the unfortunate thing with Marcelo Zuna. But this is a guy that almost won the Triple Crown last year. He barely played for us. Ronald Acuna Jr., who, you know, he's in the argument as best player in the league you know, blew his knee out this year. Um, who's one player who's kind of considered our best pitcher, Mike Soroka, didn't throw a pitch this year because he re he re injured an injury that he had and was out for he's out for another year. So the kid's gonna miss like three years of play time now. At, the, at this point, it kind of sucks. But uh, this is the fourth division title in a row for Atlanta. I'm pretty excited about it because, as you as you know, pretty big diehard fan. Um, the core of the team is very good and very young, so they'll be good for a while as long as, like, you know, they, they don't get even more unlucky in the future kind of thing. And, you know, some massive amounts of injuries don't happen or whatever. So lots to look forward to. Um, I, you know, I, I, I don't have huge expectations in the playoffs, but some crazy stuff might happen. And like I was kind of alluding to earlier, I didn't finish the, 
the point where I was saying, you know, they may change how the playoffs work this year because there's a lot of people talking about what's possibly going to happen with uh, all the craziness that's going into the playoffs. It's like St. Louis is probably going to make the playoffs now. Uh, a month ago, they had less than like a 5% chance, but they won 15 games in a row. You know, one of the longer winning streaks that's ever happened in the major leagues. They won like 17 of 18 games or something like that and just went nuts and made it into the playoffs. Well, they're probably going to be playing whoever doesn't win the division in the West. Uh, because when you don't win your division, but you have a good enough record, you go in as a wild card and you play the other wild card team, which will be St. Louis. But the, the teams in the West have more wins than all the other teams in baseball. The two best teams in baseball play in the same division this year. It's the Giants and the Dodgers. And one of them is going to be a wild card team, right? So why does that matter? So they're going to win probably like 104, 105 games, which is an a astronomical number. Yeah, that's <laughs> a lot of wins. 100 wins is a lot in baseball. But, you know, 105, you know, the record's at like, what, 112, 114, something like that. So, like, you're getting close. 116 was the so, oh, one Mariners. The Mariners, yeah. That's what I'm saying. You know, you're getting close to that number, right? And these teams are very, very good. Well, one of them, whoever finishes second in the division, is going to play a wild card game against St. Louis. And the reason this matters is instead of them getting an actual series, like the way baseball works is you play a five-game series, a seven-game series, and then a seven-game series in the World Series. But to get to the five-game series... You have to win a one-game playoff versus the other wildcard team. So you get a play-in-end game. So they're going to play against a team that won like 25 games less than them in the regular season or 20 games less than them in the regular season. One game, let's go. Yeah, they lose this one game. It's like, well, well, you're shit out of luck. Sorry. And the last time something like this happened was in like the early 90s before they did uh, realignment, before they made the teams be in the divisions they should be in. The Atlanta Braves used to play in the Western Coast Division. So they were in the same division as the San Francisco Giants, which makes no sense. You know, you're on the complete opposite sides of the country. Is that a relic from when they were in Milwaukee? Uh, yeah, I think so. Maybe when they moved from Milwaukee to Atlanta, they yeah. were still just in that there might division. Have been not enough West Coast teams to really right. float out. And Milwaukee exactly. was close enough back then, so, and then they just yeah. stayed there through the move to Atlanta. Right. So before they fixed that, um, and this is before they, like, and this is the reason the wild card exists, is because they had a year where this exact thing happened where Atlanta had like 105 wins and San Francisco had like 104 and then all the other playoff teams had like 90 and San Francisco was like, uh, was just told, sorry, bad luck. Uh, you don't even get to play in the playoffs. So they were like the second highest win total in the major leagues and didn't make the playoffs, which is <laughs> you're like, this does not make sense. And so realignment happened, uh, the wild card happened. And then we've been changing stuff ever since. So if that happens this year, I mean, just the chance of it happening this year might start, some conversations and like I've honestly kind of thought about it too where I've kind of felt like maybe it should be a three game series for those wildcard teams anyway you get you can make it to where it's only like one extra day of rest for the other teams but it kind of like in my opinion it's kind of unfair to some teams right like when you look at the Dodgers they are a little more uniquely suited to win a one game playoff right you know they have a ton of aces on their team like they have Max Scherzer they have Walker Bueller you know they have these guys but then like when you look at the San Francisco Giants or the St. Louis Cardinals you know or the Atlanta Braves like yeah, they've got, like, pitchers that are better than average, but they don't have that, like, bona fide ace guy that's just going to shut you down. Kind of guy that can win a game by himself. Yeah, I mean, like, they have some guys that have had good years this year, right? Like, Max Fried's been out of his mind in the second half. He's been the best pitcher in baseball in the second half, even better than Scherzer, who's going to win the Cy Young. You know, uh, Kevin Gossman's having... his fourth Cy Young? Uh, I think so. So, these are his third or his fourth. I can't remember how many he got in Detroit. Uh, if he got any in Detroit. I know he got, like, I think two in Washington. Are we least. ready to talk about Scherzer as, like, a, a better pitcher in this generation than Kershaw yet? Is that a conversation? Uh, I think it's a big-time conversation. Sure, uh, in, like, I think you need, I need to, like, further dive into the numbers. 
Uh, Scherzer has just been like better, I think, overall, over all the years, but he's also a little older. You know, he's having a better tail end of his career yeah. than Kershaw's having. But Kershaw was so unbelievably dominant for like a four year sp- Like he was the best pitcher in baseball, hands down, for like four yeah. years or five years. So it's like one of those like apples, oranges things. He had like, like a, a Koufax run, basically. Yeah, where he was just like, it's, uh, it's not even close how much better he is than everybody else, right? And so, um, I like the idea of giving these teams like multiple games to play because like it tells you who the better team is for more than one day, right? And like it's un it's a little unfair. Like I remember Atlanta got to uh, eliminated out of the playoffs one year, you know, one game playoff with some like, I think some stupid shit happened in the game too. That might have been the the infield fly rule that was in left field and it like cost us you know some runs or yeah. whatever. Anyway, uh, yeah, I, yeah, I've gotten over it. Anyway, but, <laughs> uh, you know, we lost a one game a one game playoff uh, game to like to make the playoffs, and it was like kind of annoying because like. I thought our team was actually really good, but we had, like, a very good team. You know what I mean? Like, from, like, top to bottom, the team was very good and could, like, compete in a five- or seven-game series. But, like, you're gonna they're going to lose a game. Like, they're not going to sweep anybody. You know what I mean? Like, and that's kind of unfair to some teams. So, maybe you see some um, some stuff change, some some new things happen. We'll have to see. Uh, I don't know if you see what's going on in the American League, but there's, like, four teams fighting for some playoff spots right now. Like, everything's really crazy going down to the last, like, three games, four games of the year for these guys. So, uh, there's some, some – and there's, like, some wild scenarios where there's three-way and four – excuse me, three-ways and four-way ties. And it gets – I can't even explain what happens because it has to do with, like, random – like, your team A, your team B, and your team C, we randomly de- depend on – I mean, we pick ra- – I, I don't even want to try to explain it because I'm going to get it wrong. <laughs> so I kind of want to see the chaos ensue where so they have to maybe think of something new. And if it, this would be the year for it to happen because the collective bargaining agreement is up after the season. And if you've been listening to the show ever, I've probably said it on here. I think there's a small chance of a strike again next year because they're far off on a lot of things they want to talk about. They are not the best of uh, what's the word I'm looking for here. They, they really don't like each other right now. It has, it has not been the, the greatest things going on the last couple of years especially with COVID and stuff. And a lot of new rules are going to be coming into baseball over the next few years, I think, too. So uh, the game's going to change a little bit, and I think it probably needs to. So we'll see. Well, yeah. Uh, I, I, for one, was not a fan when they expanded to a second wildcard team, especially if it was just going to be a one-game playoff between those two. Um, I honestly kind of like that making the playoffs in baseball is so difficult. I understand why from, you know, the, their perspective, they want they always want to expand the playoffs because the people watch the playoffs, you get more revenue. Um, yeah, so, it's, it's about money, right? Like the, yeah, the one game money. extra, the one extra game generates so much extra revenue for them, like all these extra games. Like they wanted to expand the playoffs last year and that was a big thing for the players is like, they're like, well, if you want expanded playoffs, then what do we get? Because, you know, it's more games for them. They have to stay around more, but MLB gets a lot more money. So like, what do we get out of this? And you're going to see like the, the DH come into the National League. Is what's going to create more jobs and stuff. So, like, a lot of interesting things going on there. Sorry, continue your point. Um, and, yeah, and it also gets to, you know, keep teams in the hunt longer. Yeah, um, which is and, a big deal. Yeah, so down, so people watch more down the stretch, which is usually where people start to tune out. Uh, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of reasons why. But I, I was not a fan, and shit like this just sort of vindicates my initial position. But Yeah, and you've heard me talk about this before, because like you, you make a really good point there that I think people don't don't know about or don't think about, and even I kind of gloss over, because it's like, in the back of my mind, I just know this. It, it, in baseball, it's like the hardest sport out of all the major sports to make the playoffs, because the least amount of teams make it. You know, there's 30 teams, and technically four or five teams from each division make it every year. It's, it's like, you know, with the one-game playoff, you kind of make the playoffs, you kind of don't. You know, you don't really feel like your team made the playoffs. Yeah. You know, 
you get in there, you, you're you're down like seven nothing in the fourth, and you're like, well, we've got to play like four innings of a playoff game, yay, you know, kind of thing. But and I think it's good for the game actually to do this because when you start expanding the playoffs, I think it actually, especially in a game like baseball, where like you know the better team, like more often than not, the better team uh, wins in basketball, right? Like usually the better, like the upsets happen a lot less. In baseball, some crazy stuff can happen, right? A team can be hot at the right time, blah, blah, blah. It happens a little less. It's more like hockey. You know, like hockey, if you get a goaltender that's hot going into the playoffs, like anyone can win. There's like a team, little bit more variance. Yeah, there's a little more variance, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like in, in football, generally the better team wins. And you look at the, the records overall, basketball for sure. But I think that if you add more teams into the playoffs, it actually creates a run to mediocrity because teams are going to start actually spending less, in my opinion which is, uh, I actually think, bad for the game because you'll start to see players lose their jobs more. Uh, you'll see teams not be as good, not quote-unquote go for it as hard. And you'll see you'll see like maybe more tanking and whatever, blah, 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 because if more teams make the playoffs, then you need less wins to make the playoffs, right? So players that are really good are worth less money, right? And so uh, owners will be like, so wait, you know, I'm paying like 180 million this year for this team to make the playoffs, but like this team over here did it for like 120. Like, how do they do it for 60 million less than I did? I, I'd like to save that 60 million. You know, and so you'll see them, you know, make some stuff, and it's like, well, we only pretty much have to have a winning record to make the playoffs, and then when you make the playoffs, yeah, stuff happens. You know, like we've seen wild card teams get hot at the end of the year and win the playoff. Like you saw the Marlins do it twice. You know? yeah, so the Rockies make the World Series in 07 with that yeah. insane run. They went like 21 of 22. And then look what happened in the years around that. They were like, no, they were not World Series contending teams, you know, and so stuff like that happened. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what kind of changes they make. I'm hoping they don't add more playoff teams, but maybe just a couple more games to make the, the variance a little bit lower. We'll yeah, have to see. Give them a three game series, please. Yeah, for real. Let them actually play. Exactly. Like, you know, what if your pitcher just like doesn't have it that day? Like, yeah, you're like, well, we played 162 games to get here. And uh, yeah, he threw a couple extra balls. Guess we lose, you know, kind of thing. You know, the amount of pressure that's on that. So meanwhile, the Red Sox are trying to collapse again. Mm. <laughs> They're yeah. trying real hard. So they they were like one of the rabbit teams this year, like meaning they came out really hot really at first in the first couple yeah. months and were really good. And if you looked at the peripherals, it was like, yeah, this team is good, but like, you needed to temper your expectations. Oh, I knew that there was going to be something going on, but you know, they, they had a slump in the second half of the season to begin with, but then they got it back together again. And I remember checking the standings like a week ago and seeing like, Oh, they're like, of course I knew they were going to, they were close with New York. They'd retaken that lead uh, for a second in their division. And I knew that there's always a series towards the end of the year with Boston and New York. Like, you know, one of the last three series of the year is always those two. Uh, on their schedules and you, you know this year it was their third to last series for Boston at least and it, it came it, it came around and I was like okay all they need to do basically is not get swept and they should be fine they of course got swept uh even so I was like okay their last Boston's last two series are against shit teams they're literally playing Baltimore and uh I can't remember who the last one is against they just lost two of three to Baltimore one of the worst teams in baseball and now are tied with Seattle for that fifth playoff spot in the American League Seattle, a team that hasn't made the playoffs, I think, since 2001. Yeah, it's been a very, very long time. <laughs> like, I think that's actually it. Yeah, they, they have a 20-year drought. Yeah. Uh, so w we'll see what happens over this weekend. But it, the, it feels a lot to me like like um, uh, 2009, was it? 
was that the year that both the, the Red Sox and the like is that the year that the Braves had a monumental collapse but the only reason people didn't talk about it is because the Red Sox had an even bigger monumental collapse yeah where they lost yeah. uh to Tampa Bay on the last day of the season to miss the playoffs yeah but they had to lose like I think like 12 of their last 15 or something to like you know yeah it was, it was it was utterly absurd and yeah. and that was the uh that was the 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 beer and fried chicken season where that, that last month of the season that came out that people were just like hanging out in the clubhouse like during games just eating yeah. fried chicken didn't give a shit and yeah. then they hired Bobby Valentine he was supposed to fix things and instead they became the worst team in the division yeah and then th- I think that was like yeah they became the worst team in the division and then that's when they said well we're going to try to really change the what's the word I'm looking for here like the not like the camaraderie but the whole like essence of the team and they got a couple players and shipped them out brought in a few more players and then went from like worst to winning the world series immediately or whatever and i was like yes it actually works like you get a good clubhouse with a bunch of guys that like each other and want to play for each other like stuff works out you know like that was the year with um the all the beards kevin millar all those guys uh, right i think it was after millar it was after it was uh johnny gomes is one of the guys i remember from that team They had a bunch of people with beards, and everybody else grew beards for playoff teams. It became a whole thing. It was like they were like a fucking hockey team. I was going to say, like a hockey team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And Detroit was really good that year, and I remember that they were kind of favorites in that ALCS, and they had won game one, and they were up in late in game two, and Ortiz hits a three-run shot in like the seventh or eighth inning. Torrey Hunter injured himself trying to catch it, leaping over the uh, outfield wall into the, the bullpen. Is that the one where the cop's sitting right next to him, and he just like lets him dive over? <laughs> yep, trying yeah, to, yeah, The cop yeah. just hits his hands in the air. He's like, yeah! <laughs> yep. <laughs> I remember that. I remember watching that, and I was just like, God damn it. Thank God David Ortiz is still here. <laughs> yeah. He was kind of unreal, yeah. In the, especially in the playoffs, he was like one of the better like clutch oh, playoff performers. Be, best like, I, best I've ever seen. Yeah, of our generation. Yeah, it's up there with like him, like Mariano Rivera, and like a couple of the other guys. Like yeah, that. but you always got to separate pitchers and hitters. Yeah, of course, so, of course. Yeah, Mariano is definitely number one for for pitchers, though. He had a few. Uh, he got touched up a couple times. Gave up that hit to Gonzo. Yeah, I, I'm trying to remember. I'm trying to remember the stat. I heard the stat once. Yeah, well, yeah, he gave up that, but like overall, his 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 oh, stats yeah, the for the postseason. Are are, I remember I heard this thing once. It was like more people have walked on the moon than have scored on Mariano Rivera in the postseason, or something like that, or whatever. <laughs> like, there's like some sick stat, and he's and it's it, you're like, well, yeah, like maybe he hasn't pitched. I'm like, no, he's pitched a lot in the yeah. postseason. Like they a made lot. the playoffs like every fucking year for 15 yeah. years, yeah, and they, they went uh, deep like seven times. Yeah, the Yankees haven't had a losing season in like 30 years or whatever. Yeah. So like they make the playoffs a lot, you know, like unfortunately because I goddamn hate them. But anyway. Uh, we've talked about baseball a lot. We've probably lost the viewers at this yeah. point. Well, then we now we have to switch to talking about softball. Okay, I was about to say I heard I heard through the grapevine that uh, there was some celebration not not just by you know me with my Braves team, but with with your team as well. Yeah, my rec league softball team won our first game last night, so I invited everybody over to celebrate. Not Congrats. many people could come because a lot of them work early in the morning, right. and our game was at like uh, was it seven fifteen or something? So it was like eight fifteen, eight thirty by the time it was over. So, so I'm having people over tomorrow to fully celebrate. Uh, but we had some people last night, and honestly, like if you watched our first two or three games, like, you would at, never have guessed this was possible. Yeah, like it, it, it literally was the bad news bears. Like we gave up like 15 runs in our very first inning of the season. That team has since been moved up to the upper division. Uh, so it was clear that 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 team is also just very, very good. But we basically could not record an out. 
Like, that first inning ended with them purposefully swinging and missing. Like, so that that the inning would be over. And because we literally just could not record an out. It's just a bunch of people, most of whom have never played any sort of baseball or softball before. And, uh, like, after those three games, I thought, you know what? I'm temper. I've lowered my expectations from I hope we win a game this season to I hope we don't get mercy ruled in a, in a single game. And the very next game, we did not get mercy ruled. Uh, we put up like 11 runs in one inning, and then we had one really close game. We were ahead late, and we coughed up a late lead, uh, and that one felt bad. That was like a week or two ago. And then last night, I don't know. We just put everything together. Like people were were hustling down the base paths. The other team was. Their pitcher like got in his own head the entire night. Was just getting angry all the time. He was just getting really angry that all of his high pitches weren't getting called strikes. I think he was watching like where the pitch was landing and thought they were or like where it was when the the catcher was catching it, thinking that it was like going straight. It's like, dude, it's a it's slow pitch softball. You're lobbing these when it's coming across the plate. It was at their shoulders or higher, and so it was like just above the strike zone, right? And uh. And he was just like getting really mad, screwing up plays in the field. We're just hustling every time, uh, you know, m- made enough plays in the field. There were a couple errors, one by me. Um, and playing short, right? still. Right? Uh, I was playing second. Play second. Uh, we've we we figured out we needed somebody with a better arm at short. I don't have a great I arm. You're saying yeah, yeah. Remember you yeah. saying you couldn't make the throw? Yeah. Plays, yeah. So we put our best arm at short. That guy is a fucking cannon. He also hit. A no doubt first pitch grand slam last night. Oh, like nice! The, the ball left his bat, and I was just like, "That's gone." gone. Yeah. I'm standing on first base, do the base coaching, and the the outfielder's running. I'm like, "You can stop. <laughs> You're not getting there." I'm not gonna lie. So I, I want to join another another league really badly, and one of the main reasons is it's almost like the trophy run thing for the start. You know, for for me and Magic is I've never hit a homer. I've come close a couple times, but I, you know, I've said this long. I am not a hitter. Like I never have yeah. been. I can maybe like work on it a little bit more but i don't know what it maybe i need to do some more push-ups and stuff you know a couple more bicep curls but i've always wanted to just hit a ball like i want to know what that feeling is like in a, in a real game you know what i mean like i did it when i was a kid you know or whatever but. sure uh yeah well so uh, just everything came together and, it, and we won 19 to 6 like it was not close and we put up i think nine runs in the bottom of we we, we were the home team we gave up two runs on the top of the first which is not bad and then we played at nine. So we had nine, two run after one. And then we went one, two, three in the top of the second inning. So we're up nine, two with an, with three extra outs to give. And so it really just wasn't ever close, which is the most surprising thing to me, but it just felt great. You know, after, uh, you know, now really a year and a half of a little over that of just not playing magic tournaments at all like like i did some of the online stuff two summers ago but it just doesn't feel the same um it it feels weird it feels different for sure yeah and so i just haven't had that competition in my life really you know when we hang out like play can jam or do whatever in the backyard uh you know it's not the same like this is organized uh and it's a just a whole different level so i am so jealous yeah i i I, when i joined and, and and did this I didn't realize how much I had missed that aspect of my life. And so, and it's uh, really scratched that itch really well. And the team is great. Uh, so uh, it's, uh, we, we only have one more regular season game next week. And then the playoffs the week after. Uh, so we're almost done with the season, but su- super question. happy to get this win. 
I have a question. Yeah. So next year, when you, when you, when does your season start? For Literally. softball? Yeah. Uh, we started like the beginning of September. Okay. So let's say next year I visit at some point during it. And I like stay for a long enough to you know for there to be a few games. Is there any way that I could be on the roster for those games? It would have to be within the first two weeks of the season because yeah. rosters lock after yeah, two fine. weeks. Yeah, y'all, um, could just re- y'all could just call somebody up from the minors, you know, and replace me <laughs> after, after two weeks. But I would love to come visit and play. You got to guarantee that I can play the game. So I got I got to be able to play. You know, if I'm going to visit, I need to, I yeah. need to play the two games. Well, well, yeah, we would we 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 would have to talk then. That, that said, we are also planning to do kickball, which is a yearly thing in Roanoke, over the summer. Kickball is not, not a, a big thing for you're me. You're not a kickball, not a kickball fan? Nah. It's, it, for me, for some reason, something about kickball, it just doesn't scratch the itch. It doesn't do it for me. It feels weird. Like, you know what I mean? You, you, you have the biggest divide. You have the people that take it way too fucking serious and get, like, really competitive. And then you have the people that are just there to, like, dick off, which is fine, too. Like, that's complete, like both sides are fine. You know what I mean? Like... Maybe the too competitive side, you know, you'd be like, yo, bro, chill out just a little bit, you know, kind of thing. But I don't know. To me, like, it just doesn't feel the same as when you're playing, like, a baseball variant. You know, like, it feels like a weird baseball variant because you're you're kicking. I don't know. I just don't like it. It's a personal <laughs> thing. I just don't like it. Tannen no, doesn't no, like feet, confirmed. Yeah, not not a foot guy. Just, <laughs> I don't know. It's just, like, I, I can't, like, put it all into words. It's just one of those things that just doesn't, you know, like, sometimes you're like, I feel like I should like this thing or other people like it. And you yeah, do it. you just don't. Like, yeah, that, I don't that like definitely the, happens to yeah. me for things. I don't like The Office or Parks and Recs, and I and I like a lot of oh, TV shows. I, I that are fucking similar. hate The Office. Yeah, it makes my skin crawl. It's when really I try to annoying. Watch. Yes, exactly. Like Michael's character is like it's too much for me. But yeah. Other people are like, you know, hey, you're just wrong. I'm like, look, man, like that's just okay. like my I, opinion. I understand that that's the point that he's supposed yeah. to be over the top, not but for I me. yeah, I don't like it. Yeah. I, it's not that I don't get it. Believe me, it's not that hard to get. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's toilet bowl humor. It's not like it's it's highbrow. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's like come on, buddy. I, I like I'm not I'm not an idiot. You know, I'm not very smart, yeah. but I'm not that dumb. Like so. So yeah, um, yeah. So uh, it it's just been awesome, and I'm uh, I at this point like I think we got a shot to win Tuesday's game too. Like it's a team that hasn't won that many games. So look, it's just. I, I cannot believe how much better we've gotten in a month. And it's not like we're practi- we're practicing once a week, you know. And last Sunday, I was the only person from our team to show up. We, it's two joint teams that we pra- we practice together. If we have enough people, we scrimmage, which has happened once. So we're, we're not putting in a ton of reps. It's just like, you know, basic learning over the, the few games we played and a little bit of practice. And that's, uh, you know... As as the person who has taken over a lot of the coaching role of the team, because I know a lot of the nuts and bolts of what we're supposed to be doing, um, at, at that part is very very rewarding. Yeah, absolutely. And like getting to play and do that at the same time, that sounds awesome too. So I'm glad that you're there to like you know help people out with that kind of stuff as well. Oh yeah, it's it's oh it's so sweet. Mm-hmm. God, just ah. Oh. <laughs> It's, good, it's a great. good feeling, huh? It's a good feeling. Yeah, dude. When the when the game ended, uh, like we recorded the third out, and I'm I start running off the field, and I'm happy, and everyone else is kind of standing, like, kind of dumbfounded. They're just like, "Wait, did we did we win?" Like they just kind of weren't sure. It didn't really sink in, and we're yeah, just like, "Yeah, score mean. <laughs> yeah." They don't worry. The, the game's over. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So yeah, I'm I'm like super excited for y'all. That's awesome, you know. So. Uh, I'm glad you won a game. Speaking of uh, winning, what if we make noise in the playoffs? I don't like at this point. Wait, do you, can uh, you make the playoffs? Oh, all the teams make the playoffs. 
Oh, cool. Casual Rec League. Let's go. We're going all the way to the top, baby. <laughs> it's it's literally going to be bad news bears. So we're what going I've, to the ship. Yeah. <laughs> so here's what I what I've heard is that the winner from the uh, lower division and the winner from the upper division do play a game at the, at the end. Um, and so what the I mentioned our very first game of the season was against a team that got halfway through moved up to the upper division. There was a team in the upper division that was getting crushed the entire time, and our that team in the lower division was crushing everyone. They just swapped them, right? Right. And like we literally lost like twenty four to three or something uh, to that team in the first game of the season, and it w- it literally was like the bad news bears. Like we couldn't record an out; they just obliterated us in the top of the first, and and like it literally could end with us going on some sort of miracle run through the playoffs, winning this division, this league, and then playing them if they win the upper league, which seems unlikely. But uh, a boy can dream. Yeah, a boy can dream. Definitely. <laughs> uh, speaking of getting that competitiveness out of you, there's uh, there's actually some stuff coming up, right? Some magic stuff coming up. You know, we've got the Invitational coming up, um, and there's ways for you to qualify uh, for that as well. They're doing, I think it started today. Was it today? Yesterday? The last couple of days? There's been some qualifiers online for SCG. Yeah, and- the SCG Tour, any week it's on, they do the, the, the satellites on Friday, Saturday, and then the mm-hmm. qualifier on Sunday. So, you know, today we're recording this on Friday. And uh, so today and tomorrow, they'll be running four satellites a day. Right. And so, yeah, I, I've got some early uh, results coming in. <laughs> yeah, and, the, fr- uh, the first satellite was early this morning. Yeah. And so I've got some of the results and um, it's, it's not looking good for some of the, the problem area that we thought might happen in standard. So look in the top three decks. Apparently they got played, which is, is it Epiphany at 13 decks? Uh, mono green aggro at 12 decks and then is it dragons at 12 and uh is it epiphany and is it dragons are a different deck uh but not too different the dragon deck has you know the dragons it's like that deck that todd anderson was talking about a lot on twitter and a lot of other people were playing the epiphany deck has kind of moved away from that they're not really playing the dragons as of now they're more a kill your early stuff counter a few spells play epiphany kill you Kind yeah, of deck. The, the key card that separates them is going to be Galvanic Iteration in the Epiphany deck because they're trying yeah. to double time walk and combo that way. They're doing that. They have and a then, Strix Haven and then burn stadium. down the house. Yeah, Sometimes burn they have down stadium. The house. That's that's sort of new tech. Burn down the house or or Battle of Frost and Fire, but they're more leaning towards burn now because you can copy it with Iteration and make six one ones, and that's another way to, to combo. You go uh, cast of Galvanic Iteration, all runs Epiphany. Uh, um, and you have two turns. The following the turn, you can flash back the iteration, play Burn Down the House, make six Hasty Devils, and suddenly you have ten one ones attacking, and you have two two turns of that, which generally yep. should kill them. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's kind of the difference. The, the Epiphany decks also sometimes run Smoldering Egg. Some, uh, sometimes they don't. I'd say it's probably 60-40 they don't. Um, I've right seen some now. of the sideboard, too. Yeah, like... sometimes they sideboard. So much more of a hard control deck as opposed to dragons being a little bit more mid-rangey, trying to turn the corner and end the game a little bit faster. Uh, they both play reactively on the first four turns of the game, though. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that I'm worried about that we've been talking about is, like, you know, you and I both think Alarm's Epiphany is eventually going to get banned. And I, I, I don't know. I'm not uh, sold that it will definitely get banned. It's, it's, it's the, the, number, if, the if early numbers a, are right. concerning. Yeah, if, if it happens to a card. And I know everyone's probably tired of hearing band talk or whatever, blah, 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 but like, and I'll get into why I'm saying this. Um, th- this is the card. So right now, is it Epiphany after the uh, the thing this morning had a 75.4% match win percentage 
and mono green had a 57%, and then Is It Dragon went down to about 44, 45%, which is still pretty decent if you look at it overall. 45% is not bad because, like, you know, you have some people, you know, going 0 02, 0 03, and then there's some people winning and stuff, blah, blah. But 75% or 75.5% match win percentages is a lot, even over a relatively small sample. So if this keeps going on, you know, the formats have to change a ton. The thing that I don't like about Epiphany is um, I don't like the fact that you can foretell it. Like, that's one of the hardest parts about it, I think, in this format is, like, you've... In the past, when decks like this have been good or effects like this have been good, decks generally can either A, run it down, or B, uh, they have a way to interact your hand, right? And so, like, they duress you on turn six or they duress you on turn five. You know, before, whenever, whenever you're about to, you know, cast the big spell that's whatever... And you have, you know, time to draw it that whole time, so it's going to be sitting in your hand. In this version of the deck, with this version of the time walk, that that you can't do that. You can't interact with the card unless it's on the stack. So, like, that's a weird spot to be in, you know, because we see, we've seen some decks pop up that were doing pretty well with black in them. You know, like, uh, I think about Brendan DeCandio, who's been streaming himself playing a lot this week in, like, top 100, uh, top 100 Mythic rank on the ladder. And almost all of his decks are, like, quote-unquote fair uh, mid-range standard decks. Uh, stop me if you've heard this before with Brennan. You know, he's like, that's fair. Almost all the decks are, what's the one drop that uh, that he, here, let me, let me, let me look Just this up. Just fair sentinel? Uh, no, not the green one. Um, give me one second. I'm going to pull this up. But like all of it centers around, all four of them center around uh, the synergy of, here, I got it pulled up, of Shambling Ghast and Deadly Dispute. Yeah, for everybody at okay. home that doesn't know what these are, Shamble Gas is a one mana one one. It's one black for a one one. It's a zombie, but when it dies, you get to choose one of two options: either target creature gets minus one, minus one until end of turn, or you create a treasure token. All right, and then Deadly Dispute is a card that's one of the black. It's an instant, and you can sacrifice a creature or a treasure token. Right? Is it a creature or treasure or creature or artifact? Creature or artifact. So it's creature or artifact. You draw two cards and make a treasure token. So, like, these cards obviously combo extremely well together at powering out, you know, big expensive stuff, fixing your mana, doing all kinds of stuff, and they're pretty good. Also, like, you know, a lot of them run um, Eye Witch. When it dies, you learn, and that's been a big thing in Standard right now. Almost every almost every deck can learn in Standard right now. So, you get, like, very small sideboards in Standard right now, which I'm a big fan of, because that means I can't make mistakes, Ross, because there's <laughs> not a lot of cards to bring in and out, so yeah. it makes it easy on me. But almost all of his decks rely on Duress in the sideboard to be like, you know, one of the ways he's going to fight those games. And, you know, Arms Pivot can get around this. And, like, his decks are actually really good. I like all of them. You know, they really showcase how good Blood on the Snow is. Like, that card is very, very good and powerful in the format, but it's not very good against the card All Runs Epiphany or a deck that's just not running creatures or planeswalkers or anything like that. So, um, very interesting spot uh, to be in. You know, you're seeing people fight it different ways. Like, you're seeing the... Uh, the white decks running, what is it, uh, Rydane, you know, God of yep. the Worthy to make it more expensive. Um, for me, I think one of the better ways to, to fight it, just honestly, it kind of sucks. You kind of have to join them. You need to be a blue deck. And we're seeing uh, some blue cards really go up in value. Like, obviously negate, right? But I'm looking more at Test of Talents, and that's like a big card for me right now in this format. Yeah, it's t Test of Talents and Disdainful Stroke, really, because Stroke is also still pretty good against the green decks, countering mm -hmm. Chariots and Rens and things like that so 
those are the two that you see most often. It makes a lot of sense. And unfortunately, Fortell also pretty good against the test of talents. Like you can hide one out and cast a second one that you draw. And if they test of talents it and win the counter war, you still have one left over to be able to combo with, which most of the time is all you really need. So the Fortell and Allrun's Epiphany is a, a sneaky good part of it. Uh, sort of in the same in a similar vein to how the reshuffle in ability on Nexus of Fate made it so difficult to interact yeah. with and, and really uh, created those very repetitive uh, patterns that you saw in Nexus decks. So the yeah the Fortell is a, is a sneaky good key part of it. I agree with you. Like the the discard spell interaction is also multifaceted in that you you were right in saying when you're playing the discard side of things, you want to wait on that discard spell to give your opponent time to draw into the card that you're trying to take from them. In this case, Epiphany. Well, that doesn't work so easily once they have Fortell. So now you're incentivized to fire off that Duress on turn one so you can have it before they Fortell, which gives them more of a chance to not have drawn it yet and still have it in the top few cards of their deck. Uh, and so it just makes it less, uh, makes it much more difficult to line up your discard spell appropriately against the card that you really want to take, the high value card. And then if you want to take the other half of it, the Galvanic iteration, that one has flashback. So you can't really take either half effectively with discard. Iteration also helps them get through counter spells. You know, if you go for the full combo, a counter spell only stops one half of it because they still they're still going to get the copy. Uh, and because of how iteration works, if Galvanic iteration were like fork. The, the, the original where you had to target the spell on the stack, then you can respond, then they are forced to commit the Galanic iteration targeting the spell on the stack. You can counter the original spell in response and they get nothing because the iteration doesn't even resolve. But the, the new templating of that where you cast the copy spell first and then it just copies the next thing you play uh, gets you around counter spells effectively because no matter which half the person counters, you're going to get one still. Um, so there, there's minimal risk there. So yeah, it's annoying in how difficult it is to interact with in that respect. That said, like we played a whole, I mean, it's only, it was only three matches, so it's a very small sample size. But just the feel of playing those games uh, in a, our Gauntlet show yesterday on Versus, the deck did not feel to me like utterly broken. Are you talking about the dragon version or the no, non-dragon? The not no. He it was Corey's list. He's been playing the deck a lot. He was playing no creatures. Um, and he was also playing main deck burning hands, and I was I played multiple green decks in my th set of three. So okay. you know I played mono green aggro, which looked quite good. I actually beat him yeah. with Bant, Fe Bant festival. I think there were some variants, although I would say there were some variants in his draws. But I also beat him in a game where I kept four lands Ren and seven uh, on, on five guards. <laughs> I put back second Ren and seven mind flayer because it was game one, uh, and I still managed to win. And so that there's definitely. It doesn't like it doesn't. It didn't feel to me that that busted, but you know, obviously the early results here from the very first um, satellite are look really strong for Epiphany. Uh, you know, if, if you look at the five one decks, which is the top nine, six of them are Epiphany, and then you have one Bant Ramp, which is Brad's Bant Festival deck, uh, an Azorius Control deck, which actually looks kind of cool. It plays four copies of Monk Class in the main. If you remember what that one does. <laughs> and then uh, Mono Green Aggro actually went 6-0 Sandy Dog, so no surprise there. Sandy no Dog surprise, just yeah. taking the best aggro deck and crushing people with it. 
Uh, Maybe one of the best aggro players in the world. Yeah. Sandy Dog, MTG. Uh, yeah. So he's he's able to break through. But to me, like, you know, as long as you curve out effectively against them, like, they can have some trouble answering your stuff because the threats mm-hmm. are really good against just generic removal. They're even pretty good against sweepers. You have a lot of staying power. And, uh, you know, uh, unless you, you leave yourself completely open to that st- uh, Hall of the Storm Giant or Hall of Storm Giants. God, I never get that. Mm-hmm. I can't Hall of Storm Giants. Yeah, but every single other one in the cycle is blank of the blank. Yeah. They're yeah. all templated the same way except for one. And it's the one yeah, that sees the most play. I guess the Lair of the Hydra probably sees the most play, but um yeah. Which uh, by the way is the most annoying card ever on Arena. <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. ever. It still gives you priority when you can't activate I've, I've, it. Like, I've heard that. But, yeah, zero. when you can only activate it for X equals zero, which is disallowed yeah. by the card. And, and the way Arena taps is like it leaves it up for you, so it's just it's the worst. It's it's literally the worst of both worlds. Yeah, uh, I, I, I can see. I, that. I did want to circle back for like two seconds, though. Uh, talking, still talking about Aaron's Epiphany and uh, you know Test of Talents, and like I, you know, I'm talking about you know Test of Talents being good because it does the mini extraction thing that people have talked about in the past. You know, where you take all the copies of the cards of their deck. And it's not good against just Alrin's Epiphany, but if you look at these decks, they also have the Galvanic Iteration that you've been talking about and Memory Deluge. And if you could hit one of these cards with Test of Talents, that's actually like a pretty big win, I think, in a lot of these spots. Yeah, Deluge is definitely their their end game card if you run them really low on resources. And uh, so taking those is nice. Iteration is definitely a big part of the combo. So yeah, you know, Test of Talents definitely isn't just. I'm saving this for Allrun's Epiphany. Like you can use it on a lot of different stuff, even countering a burn down the house. You know, if if you're a mid range deck trying to beat down and protecting protecting your position. So, yeah, uh, definitely more flexible than just a hate card on Allrun's Epiphany specifically. So, which is what makes it a good supper card. Uh, another card that people have been playing that uh, seems pretty good against this deck, or at least you know good enough, is Malevolent uh, Hermit. Is a card that people have been playing a lot. This is the two one that you can sacrifice to mana leak something. I yeah, think it, mana leak, it negate a leaks, right? It mana leaks only cr- it's, it's, non-creature spells. Yeah, it's it's like uh, spell pierce, but one one more they have to pay. Mm. They have to pay three. So yeah. and you know it gives you a little extra value on the card too. Like yeah. you get you get a body out of it. You know, I, when I you, haven't uh, seen a lot of malevolent hermit um, in other decks. I've mainly seen it in the is it decks themselves as a cyber yeah. card. I could see it in the Bant Festival deck. I'm, I've seen I'm, it a lot in the Delver decks that like aren't that great. <laughs> But yeah. it's just, you know, another card for them that gets, like, some extra value and stuff like that, uh, which I got to believe if, you know, this if this were the deck to beat and, like, this deck was played a ton, there's probably some shell of a Delver deck that could have a decent enough win rate against these decks that could also compete against Mono Green if you just have enough removal, possibly. But I, the thing is, is, like, the deck is probably so bad when you don't draw Delver on one and have it live. And, like, that's the biggest problem is, like, I'm looking at a lot of these blue-red decks, and they just play, like, four Spikefield Hazard, like, in the main. And you're trying to resolve a 1-1 one, one for one in the matchup, and, like, that does not feel good. Because, like, even if they have to against you, they will Galvanic Iteration a Spikefield Hazard to kill your goddamn Delver Seekers. They're also playing, like, Fading Hope, which is the new uh, Unsummon with, you know, a little upside. And so all they have to do is stay alive, right? You know, they don't even need to kill your Delver half the time. They just need to make sure you don't, you know, 15 them with the card. So, yeah, Sainer looks weird. I need to play some mono green myself. Like, I played a little bit of the Is It Dragons deck when, you know, Todd and a bunch of other people were, you know, showing it off. Uh, what was it? Last weekend was the the metagame challenge on uh, Arena, which, why don't we have this every week? I don't know. Because I think it's <laughs> great. And people were playing it a lot. It looked awesome. Uh 
I played like three or four runs of it. I don't think I ever got past two wins with Is a Dragon deck. I think I played pretty poorly in some spots, and boy, did I mulligan a lot with that deck. Like, for a deck that has a bunch of lands, plus, like, you get to do the cheater lands or the spells, and, like, your hands usually try to get smoothed out a little bit, but, like, I don't know what was going on. I could not make land drops in that. Uh, yeah, well, making land drops is hard sometimes. Yeah, I know, right? You just gotta, you gotta get there, so... Um, and if you copy the list, people never put enough lands in their decks, so... Yeah, exactly. The, the, the age-old adage of Ross, play more lands. <laughs> Sandy Dog 6-0'd the, the thing this morning and is literally playing the second satellite. I mean, he's why just, not? He's just running it back after already 6-0-ing. Gamer's going to game, bro. Like, yeah. he's been waiting for this, you know? And he's also, uh, I'm going to take a little shot at some people here. He's guaranteed to get paid. I don't know <laughs> if you follow him on Twitter, even. He's been on a mission, you know, some of the uh, with some of the drama that's been going on in Magic over the last few months that we haven't really, you know, talked about on the show because that's not really our thing. You yeah. know, we'll bring it up if it's, like, relevant or whatever, but... Um, yeah, I mean, he's been a champion, I think is the right word of, you know, just calling out some of the stuff that's going on. And he knows that he can kind of trust him. That is one great thing about, you know, when you go to an event from like that's run by Star City Games uh, online or in live or, you know, Channel Fireball, any of the big time companies, like, you know what you're getting into, right? Like, there's always that worry that when you go to an event and I've unfortunately been got by this, I've been a part of these before, you know, like my name or my face has been attached to some of these where, you know, it's, it's a it's a company or organization trying to, you know, do something. And if it doesn't work out, then they kind of just disappear. You know, that's happened a few times and stuff. So we know you're very sketchy, Tannen. Yeah, the, the, the most sketch. Yeah. yeah. Like, I don't trust you at all. Yeah, exactly. Right. That's why you just let me like stay at your house and stuff all the time and travel with me all the time and have a podcast with me. Cetera, yeah, but I don't trust you at all. No, not 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 a, not a bit. I, you know, you know what they say: keep your friends close, keep your enemies closer. Oh, that's what that means. <laughs> Son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. So, so I don't talk to my friends at all, but I just talk to you all the time. Yeah, there you go. Uh, I must be the biggest enemy ever. No, but so I mean, like you know, there's there's some stuff going on in standard. Um, we'll see what happens. I I think the main thing that turns me off of standard nowadays is just how fast everything gets solved by arena. Just because there's so much standard play now that you find the best decks like so fast, and there's also not a lot to play in. So like, like I don't know, my LGS hasn't fired a standard thing in years. Like people don't want to get the cards, you know, in real life. They don't want to spend the money on. Because here's the thing, you can look at modern, right? And you can look at those price tags. You can look at you can look at legacy. You can look at those price tags. You know what the most expensive format really is? It's standard. Yeah, that's true up until a point. I think it, yeah. you know it. it those other formats have gotten to a point where the like the difference is gigantic. You would the have to play standard gigantic. for many yeah. years to yes. make it be more expensive. But if, if you're like entrenched and you want to play standard, like every time it comes out, you're you're spending a few hundred dollars every few months on a new deck or you know which they, they slowed down rotation, which actually helped with that kind of thing. Yeah. And with the cards being so good recently, I think that's another thing that helps is like, yeah, some of your standard decks like some of these cards have some playability in modern and legacy, so that's that's been nice, I guess. But you know, that's a big problem, and you know, that kind of goes back to the point of like one of the things that one of the reasons that I have a problem with Alvin's Epiphany, and because like somebody brought this up the other day, I was like standing around, we were like talking about some magic, or I was in a Discord or something, and they're like, they were like, was Time Warp just busted, and we didn't realize it since it's five mana, and this one is six or seven, you know, depending on how you cast it, and like they're like, are the two one ones really what breaks it? Blah blah blah. I'm like, no, that's not it at all. 
And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, magic is just better now than it was back then. Like, back then, when you time warped, like, when you put it in a blue deck, like, you had to have it in a very specific deck, right? You had to have it in a blue deck, right? And the blue decks back then, like, couldn't kill you unless they were doing some crazy combo thing, right? Like, you, you get what I'm trying to say? Like, you didn't have Planeswalkers. I think that is, A, the biggest thing that has happened to magic to make time walks, time walk effects better is Planeswalkers. Also, B, there was a really successful standard deck with time warp in it. It just wasn't successful for very long because it, yeah, it, I'm not, it didn't come about until the summer and then it rotated. Yeah, and, we're not like, saying never. You yeah, know and saying, yeah. The, the issue was back then there was a very uh, clear, um, you know, there were sort of seasons to the year. Mm-hmm. If ever, if you remember, and it, standard oh, remember. standard just kind of got uh, peppered in o- over the, the the year, but it was it was always limited PTQs in the fall and limited Grand Prix and stuff, and then you played extended in the spring, and then you played block constructed in the summer. So there was a heavy focus on each of those formats for those thirds of the year, and then standard just got peppered in around that. Um, so there, so you know, and what ended up happening was. The turbo. This I'm talking about Simic Turboland, and this was right before uh, or the summer that M11 was released, I believe, um, because it would have been because Time Warp is in M10, and it, it, we needed Zendikar block, and we needed Scar. Uh, no, because we didn't have. Did we have Preordain? Um. Maybe maybe uh, this I think deck we was did for a little while. I'm not sure. Yeah, I can't remember exactly what, when it was, but it's over the summer, and like there was this, the deck playing Jace the Mind Sculptor and Oracle of Moldia and Lotus Cobra and, and and Explore and eventually Rampant Growth, which got reprinted, and it just like ramped really really hard because you also had like twelve fetch lands. So your nut draw was turn two Lotus Cobra, turn three play a fetch land. I now have access to five mana. Play an Oracle, hit a fetch land off the top of my deck, get it back up to four mana, play a Jace, and activate Jace. And suddenly I have Cobra, Jace, Oracle all in play, and uh, four lands in play, and it's turn three. <laughs> and you know, next turn you just get to brainstorm, put two lands on the top of your deck, play them both, generate mana with Cobra again, and uh, you're off to the races. But you would literally get up to twelve mana and blow and cast Avengers and Car Time Warp in the same turn, and then untap, make land drops, pump your, all your plants, and kill them. And the deck was really good, um, but it did like one of the missing pieces. I think came out in the spring or something like that, or maybe they're just. I think people might have just not had a chance to play it until that regionals in yeah, May. Yeah, that's what happened. Yeah, uh, and and it broke out and it only really existed for a few months. Um, but yeah, you know, time warp definitely. You know, to me, the I mean, All Runs Epiphany has already seen a little bit of play in standard, even you know last summer. So we knew the card was good. Like a lot of time walk effects have have seen play, some haven't. Like the delve one never really saw play, temporal mastery never. Um, so you know, to me that this one, you know, I, I don't I don't like this idea that you know because there is a busted time walk in this standard environment, you know, should we relook at, at every single other time walk effect? Like you know, they're different and they exist in very different contexts. And I always harp on magic being very context dependent. And as it turns out, like galvanic iteration is actually a pretty big part of this, uh, and in comboing with it. And then the uh, you know the tokens are a big part of like making that sort of combo work. Like this this same you know uh, you know is it turns deck wouldn't work if you just said time if you just subbed time warp for all runs epiphany, right? The deck just wouldn't work at all. 
and it would be much much worse so the, the birds do matter uh that, that's a oh, that's a big sure. part and they matter yeah. for what this specific deck is doing and what this deck is doing is saying like i have it's a combo control deck where it's two combo pieces are also relevant when you're just by themselves when you're playing a control game plan and so that's like they all just fit into a coherent strategy that all makes sense and the details of the cards matter and the details of the format matters because the format that this is it turns deck or the metagame this is it turns deck preyed upon last weekend was filled with green mid-range decks you know everybody was ramping into four to five mana red and green cards and just trying to outgrind each other you know splash a color to maybe or, or you know uh, or find a way to go over the top of of those decks with like the that's where the Skullport Merchant like you know black decks I Twitch and, and Shambling Gas decks did because they had these this incredible card advantage engine, and so it was all just grindy card advantage decks and attrition decks. And this was this deck found a way to bypass that arms race and say you know if the game goes long enough I'm just going to combo you essentially. You know it's not a, a deterministic combo, but it's it's a a very explosive turn that you get to build towards. So, you know, part of it was also the metagame that it preyed on. So we do have to wait to see, like, you know, typically I would think some sort of aggressive deck comes up and beats all these is it turns decks. Mono green right now is the most successful the aggressive one. deck. Yeah. I'm not sure like if others can exist. I, I keep waiting for a burn deck to happen. Like, I feel like there should be a very burn heavy red deck. And I'm not sure if it's just bad or if people are reluctant to build red decks like that because we've been so biased by two years of Ember Cleave and everybody thinks that red decks have to be super creature oriented. But it's, it's probably a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. And then like maybe we're like one burn spell short. So like give, you know, wait till the next set comes out, which yeah. we'll be getting previews for it, in like three weeks. Yeah, yeah it does. It I wouldn't be surprised if that were true at all, Tannen, because the you know play with fire is good. Royal eruption, as far as for a burn deck goes, is good. Past that, it gets a little sketchy. Like there's the igneous inspiration, something like that. The three damage yeah, learn yeah. spell. You have in, there's the magic have, missile. Yeah, you also have a lot of the uh, support around it that's good, right? Like if you need to go super hard on burn, you have the um, the O four wall that you know pings them a ton. Uh, the, uh, the the red mythic from the new set that you know brings back a, a yeah. spell is good wherever you cast it on the curve because it's just a, it's a it's a burn spell itself being a two two hasting creature yeah yeah so the adversary and, and flame channeler is good you can splash white for rem Carolus and showdown of the scalds you can splash black and play the uh uh that hellspark elemental esque card um so there's definitely options there that's what I've been waiting to see as far as an aggro deck. That can just beat up on you know decks that play a, like a lot of removal. You know this is a turns deck plays quite a bit of removal. It is a control deck, and when you're only playing you know, twelve to sixteen creatures and a and a pile of burn, uh, that you can really get you can you know really take advantage of them. So mm-hmm. uh, uh, that's that's what I'm hoping to see. I'm hoping to see aggressive decks uh, that can you know hang with the uh, you know very that can hang with his turns and really get underneath it. And then that provides space for the mid-range decks to then prey on again, because we're not really seeing a lot of gruel this week when it was sort of the most popular deck last it weekend. Was by, like if you look at the first couple uh, standard challenges, it was like 80% of the winning decks, like up in the, you know, up at the top echelon. Like we look at the top eights, it was like four to five, six copies and like everyone, some form of gruel. And then now that deck is like disappeared. Yeah, so uh, so to me, that this is a pretty typical early standard season evolution, 
And I, I hope people can get themselves out of the mindset of whatever deck is winning that weekend must be busted. Um, you know, I know that was true for like the last two years. You know, Omnath dominated week one and it was completely busted. And, uh, you know, it, it took a little bit for, um, for um, um, uh, Fire Zone Invention to get figured out. And there was some other stuff like Oka was busted week one and that, you know, so that, like it's happened several times over the last couple of years with Throne and, and the other sets, but um, this is it. Turns deck feels very beatable to me. I, mm. I don't know. It do, doesn't oh, seem like sure. it's on that on that yeah. Uh, level. Yeah, I'm not saying it's unbeatable. It's just it's annoying the card. I, like I hate the card or whatever. I hate that kind of magic where like you just sit there and watch your opponent do things. And to kind of like finish the point that I was making is like I just don't like where magic is when we're printing you know, time walks at like seven mana and they're one of the best things you could be doing because all the other cards are so good. Like if you think about it, uh, ever, like pretty much everything in magic now, like mid range decks, aggro decks, if something stays on the board for more than one or two turns, generally it's going to kill you. Right. And almost all the decks, like obviously there's exceptions, like, you know, the one drops in some of the red decks or white decks might not necessarily kill you. It's going to do a lot, but it makes the other cards better, etc. Like, obviously I'm, you know, being a little hyperbolic here, but if a three drop stays on the board, a four drop, a five drop, planeswalker, creature, any of these things, like I'm thinking about Goldspan Dragon, right? I'm thinking about Loth. I'm thinking about like any of these very proactive cards. You have to answer them immediately or you die. And then half the time, they leave back some value that is also very good. So when all of your cards are quote unquote, we call these the mole drifter effect, when all of your cards are mole drifters because they're doing everything, right? You know, they're giving you value, they're giving you card advantage, whatever it makes a time walk busted because like, yeah, like my stuff's going to stay on the board, but now it stays on the board for that extra turn that you don't even get a chance to interact with. And now you're so far behind that you're going to be behind for the rest of the game. And you have to, you know, get absurdly lucky and I have to get absurdly unlucky for it to, to work out kind of thing. It's just me bitching a little bit because it's annoying and I don't love that kind of magic because, you know, the, the biggest problems that we said at the beginning of the show when we were talking about this, the beginning of the magic portion of the show, is the card is really hard to interact with. And to interact with, like, in a good way, you know, kind of thing, like in a, in a positive way. So, yeah, I mean, if it becomes a big-time problem and the green decks can't necessarily beat it, maybe you start to see the green decks do what they did a few years ago when you had, you know, green Stompy and it just splashed for negate. Yeah, I don't see that happening with mono green. Because they want to be a snowman base for Faceless Haven, and they would have to play a Snarl, which is awful. Friends don't let friends play Snarls. <laughs> so uh, I think you would then see, like, it's much easier actually to splash blue in your Gruul deck than it is to splash in your mono green deck, um, which is a little counterintuitive. So that might bias people back towards Gruul, the fact that they can more easily splash uh, in the sideboard for Distinct Historic or Test of Talents or even both. Uh, and, and I've already seen that in some lists. Like the the deck that took second place last weekend, actually in the um, the what is that weird uh, sponsor for that tournament last weekend that had like two hundred people, but uh, it was the biggest tournament last weekend, and, and they took second with a werewolves deck that splashed for a three disdainful stroke in the sideboard just off of eight uh, pathways. So uh, that 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 kind of stuff is definitely doable. I think the the big issue is that we don't have good one mana cards. Like the even Jespero Sentinel has, has dropped significantly in value. People aren't really playing it. Uh, they were last weekend, so like there really is not. There, there's like one good one drop in every color. Sentinel's still a fine card. 
Usher of the Fallen is fine. The new red one drop, uh, that vampire is fine. But like every color gets like one good one drop, and that's just not enough to make a really low to the ground aggressive deck, which is part of the reason I want I gravitated towards burn. There's more good one mana creatures. Um and I don't know why Watsy is so against printing good one mana creatures so that we can play aggressive decks, but I think it's part of the reason why, you know, it's uh, the metagame has started in a mid-range place and then quickly moved to the over-the-top deck. And now, you know, you got to... The, the green decks, like, you can get under them a little bit, but you're mainly, you know, playing threats that are very resilient to removal. Like, Azika's Chariot is just hard to answer on a one-for-one -one basis if it resolves. Same with Ren. And, uh, you know, Briarbridge Trackers are built in two-for-one. And then, uh, you know, a Ranger class generates value as a two-drop even. So there's a lot of inherent card advantage even to the threats that the green decks are playing. So it gives you staying power against their interaction. But you generally do, like, allow them to get to get to the point where they're casting Allrun's Epiphany. Yeah, the Your goal is to not let them get to the point where they're able to set up Epiphany plus iteration. So... I would, you know, generally like to see aggressive decks that are capable of putting a little bit more pressure on their opponent, even if they're more fragile. That element of the metagame right now is missing, and I think it's missing because Watsi has put too much depth of power in the two, three, and four mana slots on the curve, and not enough depth of powerful cards in the one mana slot on the curve. And yeah, I can I can kind of see that, right? And like maybe maybe the next set fixes that, right? Like we get another black one drop, right? You know, if we get like another like early black zombie card, you know, yeah. you know, uh, what's it called? Ch Champion of the Perished could be like really good. Or we get like another good or playable red one drop. Then all of a sudden you've got, you know, eight one drops in the red deck. And now the burn spells might be good enough. Right. Yeah. So like, you know, we're looking at the, you know, the chance of that kind of stuff. Um, you know, you're looking at you're looking at some some things drastically changing, right? And you know, some people have been playing the white deck too, like the mono white deck, like you've been talking about, because you know that thing has some really good aggressive curves. It can do some broken stuff, and it has some disruptive creatures with uh, Rydane. And, and I think um, Rydane's in a really good spot right now too. Lighter. Yeah, because like Rydane is in a w really good spot right now because uh, sorry for interrupting you. Um, almost all the decks are hurt by it in some way if it can stay alive. Right, because they're either playing snow. Almost all the aggressive decks into the mid-range decks are playing snowlands, so they can play Faceless Haven, or they're playing cards that you get to make more expensive. Right, like they're playing these Deluges and these and these uh, All Runs Epiphanies, and you make them cost two more. And at that point, when the when the deck's not curving the way it's supposed to, it's very like I played against a Redane the other day that I couldn't kill, and I just died. I was just dead on the spot. I am uh, not surprised. Yeah. So that's why you're seeing a lot of these with like the spells that can deal three and stuff, you know, you need to make sure you can kill this thing. And then I've seen the other end of Redane be relevant in some matchups too, where like, if you play like a mirrorish kind of match, you know, it's creature versus creature and you're like, okay, well all your stuff just deals one less now. Like that's really hard to beat when you're like, so you're telling me my creature can't trade for yours anymore. It's like, I, I have to like start double blocking all your stuff or like I can't race anymore. So like that card's actually gone pretty high up in value uh, in my opinion, especially if, you know, that color gets even a remote, little bit better, or if, like, one of the combos gets kind of better, you know, yeah. kind of thing. The problem with the white is that it even doesn't have a lot of great twos anymore. You know, lost season Hallowblade, and now it's That's really, a big loss, yeah. Yeah, and I don't like their adversary that much. Like, it's a fine card for aggressive decks, but it's just too easy to kill as a two-drop. Like, 
You know, I like having two drops that are relevant on turn four and turn five and turn six, which is what that does, but it's not very relevant on turn two. And that, you know, hmm. that comes first. Is my two drop being relevant on turn two is, is even more important. So, yeah, like Clarion Spirit is not that. It's not that. Like, it's it good. Will, Clarion Spirit, again, requires a bunch of cheap spells around exactly. it, which they don't really have. Like, you can play Monk and Code Spell Cleric and go like, super low to the ground, but then you probably need even more one drops. That's probably how you have to build the white deck, to be honest. But then you don't really have anthems to take advantage of it. Yeah, like that's the problem is like now you're going a different direction. Your deck's not as good. Your your cards aren't as as powerful. Now you're incentivized to play all these cards to the board to get value. And now you just lose to Cinderclasm, which most of the red decks are playing. Or you just straight up lose to any of these sweeping effects. You know, and they don't have to be that big of a sweeping effect, too. Like the Meat Hook Massacre or whatever, like just needs to be for like two or three. And that's your entire board. And you're like, oh, that's like turn five. N- not necessarily in those decks. They can do it as soon as turn like three and four. You know, because they have so many treasure tokens and stuff now. And here's the thing. That's all they need to do to beat you most of the time. Because you, even if you do like, quote unquote, recover after it and like play two creatures, it's bought them enough time to like play a Planeswalker now when they're not super far behind. Like they can play Loth and make two spider tokens or something, right? Or, you know, you could play something else to like block and leave up a removal spell kind of thing. You know, some way to gain some life back. Or you're playing into blood on the snow. You know, just something along those lines. Also, their one drop's a nightmare for you, too. It's a 1-1 that if you it, it either blocks and ramps them or blocks and kills one of your things. You know, you might get two for one. You know? So a lot of that is, like, a disaster. You know, so I am surprised. And like you said, I actually want to see this blue-white deck you were talking about. I'm surprised we haven't seen some form of control deck that has counterspell in it that, like, it's good enough to beat, you know, both... It's good enough to win games, game one, against these decks, but, like, can shift hard one way or the other. Because, like, here's the other thing, too, that we haven't talked about with the the white control decks is against the aggro decks in this format, like, you know, the green decks these uh, and these mono-white decks, you just have timely reinforcements again. But, like, two mana now. Yeah, that card is actually very, very good. You know, even if you're just gaining four life and making two creatures against the mono-white deck, that's good enough to buy you time to get to, you know, your your four or five mana wrath turn, you know, whether you foretell it or not, you know, depending on how your curve goes, right? Yeah. And the I think one of the biggest problems with, with the deck for Blue White is, is how does the deck win? Because there's not, there's no, like, I, I know there is one, and I just don't know if it's good enough yet. There's no, like, Teferi, right? You know, there's no, like, slam this Planeswalker, you're dead, if I'm not dead. You know what I mean? There, and, like, that's generally the way the blue-white control decks have been winning in the last couple of years is that or, like, Dream Trawler. You know, some creature, it's like, you cannot interact with this, and then if it hits you the game, it's probably over. And there's not a ton of that going around right now. So, like, maybe trying to find the right thing, it may, maybe it needs to be blue-black, you know, and get one of the big Planeswalkers or something there. I'm not sure yet, but I've got to believe there's something somewhere that can contend with these decks, and we just haven't found it yet. And, and like you said, maybe people just aren't doing it. They aren't building it. I, I think the one of the big issues is that the three mana uh, you know counter spells aren't very good against the green decks. That's a really really good point. And like the the thing with a lot of the control decks, right? Especially like your I'm I'm talking about classic control deck of like I'm trying to counter spell one of your things or whatever, and then I have a remo- I have like a mass removal spell at like four or five, right? The problem is the green decks is your counter spells aren't good because like you know on turns two and three if they're on the play they're they're playing these huge haymakers against you. And if you don't, like, if you're not interacting, they're not attacking you for two, like the red or white decks. They're attacking you for, like, six. So they're taking huge chunks of your life total. And then, depending on the matchups, too, like, Mono Green has some really good cards to play around Wrath. You know, like, Chariot is really good at recovering after Wrath. So uh, is Ren. Even, 
So is Rin any of the haste creatures? You know, if you just randomly... And then they all have six plus creature lands. Mm-hmm. And that is, that's super scary too. So like your control decks now have to have field of run. And then oh, you like 100% have to have field of run. And you just play really well. And so like if I was playing blue white control right now, I think I would be playing, um, it's fateful. What, what's the white terror? Fateful absence. Fateful absence. I think I'd just be playing for fateful absence. I think you just almost have to. That's why I'm so interested by these Zorius control, like the five one, the first side. Do you have a link to that? I want to see mm-hmm. this. Yeah, uh, I'll just. I want to see. The, I want to see the, Sandy Dogs deck too. I, I can't find it right now. San, Sandy Dogs is pretty stock. I, I figured as much. I still want to look at it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, because uh, I, I I've been tempted to play some more uh, standard lately. I can't believe I just said those words. But <laughs> well, the limited because, format like, is not good. So the limited format is definitely not good, and I keep playing it for some reason, and like I just hate it halfway through. Like every time <laughs> I'm like I'm drafting my so deck. Why did I do this? Like, I, I lost, like, like, even, it's weird, too. Like, even just the weird bitching I was joking about today. I had a, per, a person, like, uh, play a Delver on one, flip it to burn uh, burn down the house on two or whatever. And then uh, I forgot what else it was. They did some other, like, busted rare, like, they made some other ridiculous play on, like, three or four. And I was like, man, I'm just, I'm just dead. Like, <laughs> it's the most disgusting. And I was like, it was all constructed cards. And I was like, wait a minute, this is, this is limited, you know, kind of thing. So, um... Yeah, I'm interested to see what's going to happen with these decks and stuff. Did you uh, send the link to me by any chance? Yeah, I sent you the link on uh, to the the tournament, and it's just the ninth place deck, the last five one. But four copies of Monk Class in the main, which is a bounce spell that gives you a one mana rebate on your second spell each turn. And once you get to level three, it becomes a sort of um, you know like Chandra kind of. You get to at the beginning of your upkeep, you exile the top card of your library. And as long as it's there, you can cast that card as long as you've cast another spell this turn. So it's playing a lot of um, uh, Fortell. It's Allruns Epiphany, Doomscar. And I guess they're they're playing, you find the Villain's Lair over Saw It Coming, which seems weird to me when you have two other Fortell cards. Uh, I would like to have that kind of disguise built in. But four copies of Consider, which makes a lot of sense uh, as a cheap spell to enable Monk class. And then, you know, has a couple of Celestuses to ramp into these bigger cards. Teferi, which plays very well with Mana Rocks. Uh, so you get to untap a land and your Celestus and generate two mana off that plus one. Um, four copies of Memory Deluge. Three Fateful Absence, so close to that full four. Uh, four Doom Scars, your Sweeper, which is nice against the green decks. But not a ton of counterspells here. There's only four in the mains. Two, you find the Villain's Lair. Two, Disdainful Stroke. And then has two more strokes, two test of talents, three hermit in the sideboard. So a lot of counters in the board. Awkwardly has a lot of the creatures as its removal in the sideboard. Four Brutal Cathar, two Mind Flayer, when it's already main decking four Doomscar. That's a little weird to me, but uh, maybe those are just still the best cards because white doesn't have a lot of great removal. It seems, yeah, it seems pretty good against the creature decks. So if like, they board out all their removal and you do something like that, that seems pretty good. But Yeah, but it, yeah, not a lot of win conditions here. Winning with Allrun's Epiphany. A lot of the time has two Amirius calls, so you get some angels, and then has three Hall of Storm Giants. So, uh, you know, just not a lot of ways to win the game here, especially when you're not souping up the Allruns Epiphany with Galvanic Iteration, and that scares me because the like the green decks, Mono Green Aggro, all the Gruel decks, the Storm the Festival decks, they it's like the, the days of Collected Company when like you, you just never ran out of gas. You know, you like every you know it could be turn twelve and both players have ten lands in play and five cards in hand. And, and and full battlefields. So to me, like you've got to turn, you've got to end the game quickly. And the Allruns Epiphany, uh, you know, Galvanic Iteration combo, especially with Burned on the House, is that way to just sh- shut the door on a single turn. Um, you know, even faster than what Goldspan Dragon would do, 
or uh, smoldering egg or anything like that. And so that's that scares me about Azorius Control, especially when it seems like it's built a little bit more with aggro in mind, with you know a bunch of removal and four Doom Scars in the main, um, and not um, and only four total counter spells in the main. But it did go five one. Uh, and we'll see how it does over the the rest of the weekend. But right now it looks like it's mono green against is it turns and that's that's our format. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know may, maybe something happens at some point to change some stuff up, but we'll have to see. Um, I like you, like you said it's pretty stock, but like looking at Sandy Dogs, I like the Snakeskin Veils main. I think it's a card that's really cool in this format right now and leads to probably some of the biggest blowouts you could possibly run into. That card is really good. Yeah, really it, good against you, it. If you've ever lost to that card, it's like the it's kind of like Veil of Summer, right? Like that when it happens, it's real, real bad. And then also, I think the the value of that card is like pretty high whenever you have open deck lists as well, because like there's a lot of turns where you just like leave up a green and your opponent has to play really weird. You know, it's like they know you have it, which a lot of these online tournaments, you know, you play with open deck lists and stuff. So lots of crazy stuff going on here and stuff. Uh, I don't know. I'm gonna go ahead and mess around with some of these decks for sure. And like the Bant Ramp deck, like. It looks pretty decent to me. It's one of the things that I, I was kind of surprised at how little we've seen Coma so far in the standard format because, like, that was one of the cards that I was looking at that I was like, yeah, this is going to be one of the cards that you're going to be you're going to be playing against a lot, right? But the problem is, is like you cast Coma and then they untap and play All Runs Epiphany and just attack you for a million. You know, yeah. the other it's problem is you play Coma and they cast Burning Hands and you're sad. <laughs> oh, it can't be it can't be uh, prevented or whatever. Uh, no, but well, you, you don't you don't get the three three until the, your opponent's right. upkeep, right? So if they just right. have so burning hands in their it, hand, yeah. they respond to the trigger on their upkeep, burning hands of the coma, or if they have mana up, they can even do it on on your turn. So the, the the I think the bigger problem for coma is that green is a very popular color, so burning hands is everywhere. You even see it that in main decks. Yeah. Uh, so it's just really difficult to play a card like that. Same with Tovalar's Huntmaster. You, know, you just can't play cards that are that expensive that trade so easily with the burning hands. I know Huntmaster yeah. leaves a couple two twos around, um, uh, you know, but that that basically turns it into Ezekiel's Chariot for two more mana, and exactly I'm just yeah, not yeah. interested in something like that. Because that's another card. I was like, man, you know, why are people playing a ton of that card? Because that card seems really, really good. And like, you know, you just made a good point. You know, I I had kind of thought about this. Like, why aren't people playing this card more? And I'm like, oh yeah, burning hands. And that card yeah. is is probably the most played sideboard card. I was like that and like a negate. You know, or like the two most played sideboard cards in standard right now. So pretty cool stuff going on. Um, hopefully we get a little more diversity in the format, but like, you know, it should be fun. A lot, a lot, there's a lot of cool things going on. You could play a bunch of different decks. You know, like I've tried not to be, you know, sky is falling on the Auburn's Epiphany thing. But like when you look at the results of just being, what is it? Six of the top eight decks were Auburn's Epiphany. You know, it's kind of like, uh, that's, it's not, that's not great. It's not it, a good visual, but you it's know, definitely worrisome. But I'm officially worried. Yeah, I'm officially worried, but we got to give it time, right? Like, I got to give people time to try to figure it out, you know, find some decks that can compete with us more. And if if the deck is a player in the metagame, that's obviously fine. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's obviously fine that, like, if it's a good deck, but if it's if it's going to stay at this kind of numbers, that is not. Right. Well, in the second satellite, which is through two rounds, is it Epiphany is currently winning at a 58% clip and Mono Green is at 63%. Mm-hmm. And they're both 24 uh, decks in the field, which is about 23% of the field. So almost half the field is playing either mono green aggro or is it turns. Um, and, uh, you know, they're winning at about a 60% clip across both decks, which is quite good. But still in a small sample size, that's, you know, just under 100 matches. We've got 
about that from the first satellite because it's a little bit smaller. Honestly, honestly, it makes sense, too, that those would be the most represented decks, right? Because they're putting up the best numbers to start with. Oh, yeah. So, like, if you watch the satellites, like, they always narrow over the course of the day with what was doing right. well. Yeah, and so, like, you're going to see that, and then it, it's going to take people, you know, a couple days to figure out how to beat these decks, like, where the weak points are, where the, where's, the, where's the stress point that I need to put the most pressure on to kind of put myself in a better spot to beat these decks, and, like, we got to give that we have we have to have time for that right so like hopefully by this time next week you know things have kind of leveled out a little bit you know some other deck has come forward you know being like hey i, I can i can beat these decks and start to make it a real rock paper scissors kind of thing yeah we we definitely need that and we only have a week or two for for it to show up so please come quick save us superman yeah i will say so when is the uh the invitational because that's, that's what you're worrying about right it is the very end of october halloween weekend right uh, are you going to dress up at all for the uh, for the event? Um, certainly not for the event. Uh, are you going to do anything during the week? You're probably going to do one of those like really low effort costumes, huh? I hate dressing up for Halloween. Hate it. I go back and forth sometimes. I think if I had to do one this year, uh, I had an idea, but I, I, I can't do it now because of uh, because of the the callings, the 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 flesh and blood events I have to do. So I have to like you know look a certain way on camera. I was going to do um. There's a guy at my LGS who really grew out his beard, right, over the last year. But he's, he's, he's kept it really well, right? I'm not talking about just a big, ridiculous thing. It's like classical age Green Arrow. You know what I'm talking about? Like, it's like, it's like Mr. Pennybags. Like, he's got, you know, the beard, but he's got, like, the mustache. The, the mustache, I think is the right yeah. way you pronounce it. That, like, you know, curls up and around. But it's, like, it's not, like, thin. It's not, like, the thin line. It's, like, the the more thick, you know, like, actual Green Arrow. Like, he has, like, the thicker mustache with, like, the 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 goatee and stuff and i told him i was like hey if you if you do the superhero thing like if you go as green arrow or whatever with that stuff i'll do a superhero and do some other people to do superheroes and the one that i was going to do which is super easy and like i already have like the whole outfit and everything i was just going to be tony stark who is iron man yeah but it was i had to do my facial hair a certain way to do it he has like a very specific beard and like a specific haircut like you know this big crazy thing and so i'd have to like grow my beard out to like get it shaved down into that kind of thing and i it's, it's, it's like a pain in the butt because I'm like, I have to be on camera a lot the next couple of weeks. Like, it would really kind of mess it up. So it's one of those, like, eh, is it really worth it, you know, kind of moments with all the stuff going on. It's amazing when life gets in the way of the fun stuff, right? Yeah. I'm currently being uh, pressured by Todd Anderson to join in to uh, my roommate Travis's costume. He's already committed personally as going as Ted Lasso. And he literally mm -hmm. bought an AFC Richmond jacket uh you know to to complete it and i'm now being pressured to go as coach beard i haven't gotten to watch the show yet but i just keep hearing absurd things i'm waiting for uh the season to finish so i can just binge all of it it's ridiculously good yeah i'm also Honestly, uh, you should just start there's two episodes left you should just start binging it now yeah i'm waiting till well i'm waiting to do um i don't have what is it apple tv yeah I don't have that, so I'm waiting to do like the free trial for a week or whatever. Yeah, so I'm just gonna so get all. I'm just get all of it. Just just sign up so that like the last day of the free trial yeah. is like the day after the episode comes, last episode. Comes yeah, out. and then you also, can binge it sooner. Yeah, but, I'm also in the middle of binging something right now anyway, so like I'm waiting to. I I don't want to. I've been going. Cr yeah. Well, the problem is I know if I go as Coach Beard, I'm gonna have to buy the same fucking jacket that Travis bought, 
And that's just putting way too much effort into a Halloween costume. Oh, oh no, oh no! You're gonna have you can have fun, Ross. Uh, you know when I when I do things like that, I like to buy something that is going to end up being otherwise functional. I'm literally never going to wear an AFC Richmond jacket outside of this Halloween. Yeah, I say that because like that would be easy for me with Iron Man. Is like I would just get the Iron Man T-shirt with like the you know this at least a little, little thing in his chest that glows or whatever. Yeah, is like the so like you could just have that on the T-shirt and then you just wear like you know, a nice jacket over it and some nice pants. Cause like, that's how he, that's how he dresses. So like, you just do that, right? There's not a lot of commitment to buying accessories kind of thing, but I don't know, man, I, I vote that you should do it. Have some fun with it. It's up to you, obviously, but you know, have a little fun, man. Of course you, you vote do that I should do it. Yeah. You're a curmudgeon, dude. I want you to get out of your, I want you to get out of comfort zone. Do something, do something different. I just know that you're going to do it and you're going to like go hang out and you're going to have a lot of fun. You're going to be like, that was a fun night. I'm gonna be like, yeah, it was a good investment. It was a, it was a fun night. And we haven't. We've had way too little of those in the last few years. That is true. I, I feel like the tide is turning a little bit here. I feel like <laughs> you're you're softening on this position. Uh, you know, it, it, you might think that. <laughs> so you you can think that. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, yeah. I don't know if it's actually true. You can think it, but okay. Also, I would love to do some kind of costume that could use my dog as well. That'd be great, but I don't know what that would be. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know, like any famous pop culture Pomeranians. Um, I think one thing we could do that would be utterly crazy we'd never actually do is I wouldn't mind painting her blue and make her Sonic and I could be the bad guy from Sonic. A Dr. Robotnik? Yeah, I couldn't remember the name. Dr. Robotnik. I could do that and like make her make her Sonic or whatever. But like, cause, like she'd have to be a little animal, obviously, and that would be really cool and cute. And I could uh, put some product in her hair because you just like spike her hair up pretty easy and stuff. That would be kind of crazy. I think my wife would kill me if I okay. did that. Apparently there was a vampire Pomeranian in the Blade Trinity. There, there was, and it looked it's it, it's the same coloring as my dog. If I remember yeah. right, it's sable. I'm looking it's like at the picture, sable. it honestly just looks like Benny. Uh, yeah, she the one in the movie I, I can actually picture it in my head. It's the typical smaller version of the palm. Like that's a five to six pound one, and they're like a little more round. They're like a little more of an actual ball. Well, my dog's more of an oval. Like she's actually bigger and longer. Like, my dog is actually a little bigger than the average palm. She's, like, 9 or 10 pounds when they're usually, like, 5 or 6. And I think that's why she's, like, less yippy. And she's, like, more athletic and stuff. She's, like, more of the dog, you yeah, know, yeah. on the dog and less lap dog. Yeah, makes and sense. Makes so, sense. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I could just, I guess I could be Triple H. All I have to do is go get a couple cycles of steroids in, put a couple workouts in, you know. <laughs> I, think, I think Triple H had the dog, if I remember right, in that movie. Yeah, you could, you could, you could pull that off. By the way, if you ever want to have some fun... If you're ever like going down the YouTube rabbit hole, YouTube Blade Three and like what went wrong with that movie, it is hilarious the shit they went through to make that movie. Because uh, Wesley Snipes is apparently just like an actual crazy person on on set. He like only communicated with the director through posted notes. He like wouldn't actually talk to them or whatever. And then like I think he stayed in character like the whole time, but then like wouldn't take directions. Like at the end of the movie, they like they they he's supposed to like be dead or whatever. And, like, they zero in his face. And then, like, right before, you know, he goes to credits, his eyes open or whatever. But he wouldn't actually open his fucking eyes during the take of the movie. So they digitally did it. Huh. So it's, like, his eyes are literally opening. It's not real. He, like, refused to do it. For, you know, just little things like that. Like, yeah, Patton Oswalt's weird. in the movie. And he's talked a lot about it. And he's, like, yeah, the dude was just nuts. <laughs> and, and it's, like, it's one of those things, like, he's come out since then and been, like, yeah, I was not that bad. Whatever. It was blown out of proportion. Blah, blah, you know, maybe I made some mistakes here. Blah, blah. I'm, like... Yeah, but it, no one hired you in Hollywood, like, ever after that. You wonder why. Like, you know, like... Maybe you wonder you put if two and two together. Yeah, it's like, I wonder, you know, like, I, I, I agree that some of it was probably blown out of proportion, but, like, 
that means something did happen. And like, these are like, they invest hundreds of millions of dollars in these things. By the way, we have to thank Blade. That's what got us the MCU. That's what got us the, the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, because that was the first Marvel movie, believe it or not, you know, before all the other ones. So and it's, it's kind of crazy that the first one they made was an R-rated one, and then they like haven't gone back, but I think they will with, uh, what's it called? Yeah, um, they have to eventually. Yeah, well, they're going to make another Blade movie, but I think that one's actually going to be PG-13 because they've already cast the new Blade. But I think they're going to do, what's it, Ryan Reynolds with uh, Deadpool. I think they're going to give him one, so we'll see. Anyway, um, I think that's about it for the magic stuff this week. Do you want to finish up with some, uh, we could clear out some of this mailbag and some other stuff that we got. Let's see, do we have a mailbag? We do have a mailbag. Let's do it. Okay. This is from WC Power 9, and they say, at the risk of sounding like a bad sideline reporter asking questions and a presser, is there an article or a piece of content that you point uh, that you point me to that you discuss your most famous losses? Uh, as heartbreaking as they are, uh, we can all learn from them. If not, can you please give us some insight? What were you thinking and what you learned? I have an article where I did this. Was this the, the Patrick Chapin game and some other stuff like that? Maybe the, the, the what's it called? The Reed Duke game? Um. I'm, I can't remember which mistakes. I'm, I just found it. Uh, so, yeah, I discussed the Peace Ollie match. You I did it for did, our finals yep. against Basoko as well. And the read. No, this is before that. Okay. Um, and then there was a, a key thoughtsies I had in a win and in match at an open. Um, that's the third one. So, yeah, it's the Reduke match at the PC and the uh, and the, the Peace Ollie match along with that uh, a key thoughtsies play. So the article is called What If? Those are the, the two-word title. If you literally just search it on Star City Games, I'm sure you can find it. It's from May 28th, 2015. Um, so in-depth into three individual decisions that I made incorrectly. Um, so, yeah, I, I did write that article. <laughs> uh, I was going to say, I definitely don't have an article or any piece of, like, content that has this for me because, you know, I my content was, like, very you know, I only wrote for a website for like half a year and like some other stuff. Um, some of my bigger losses like this are on camera because, you know, like I have all my losses in the finals on camera and I'm trying to think if any of them, I don't think any of the finals actually had me on camera, but like you can see my reaction afterwards where I'm like in one or two of them, you could tell I'm like, man, not again, you know, kind of thing, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's, it's not necessarily like, you know, I remember after one of them, I kind of just like face plant into the table, you know, because I'm just, it, it, you know, it's one of those things, it's, you know, I, I shook the hands of their opponents. I was very happy for them or whatever. And it's not necessarily me being like, oh, I messed up or, you know, so sad that I lost. It's I'm also just tired. <laughs> you know, I'm exhausted after this tournament and losing the final just takes all the wind out of you kind of thing. So um, I don't really have, you know, something like that. I'll try to find a better answer if I can. And like, maybe I can type something up for you. So I'll definitely look into that. And like you know, create some because I know some some stuff in the in the past where I've made like huge blundering mistakes somewhere. And you know, um, the biggest thing I could tell you about what I've learned from it, you know, what I was thinking is obviously I was thinking the wrong thing. I was probably just zeroed in on one thing and didn't think about the other thing kind of stuff. That's usually what happens. And then what I've learned usually from it is how to not make that mistake again, but also how to just move on and go to the next thing. Because honestly, like especially in Magic, if it's if you have a round after that, you need to get that out of your head and move it on to your next round and try to play as, as well as you can in the next round. The article I mentioned, the final section of it is about moving on after you make mistakes. Yeah, exactly. I, I figured you would cover that. You're like really smart when it comes to that kind of stuff. So Yeah, it's literally in a section at mm -hmm. the end called moving on. 
Nice. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of moving on, let's go to the overrated, underrated. God, that was a good segue. All right. Anyway, uh, Harper231 says, going second and discard mirrors. Uh, Probably a little underrated. It's uh, So the, the, the key is it gets a lot better uh, the more mana efficient the decks are, because that makes it even easier to trade multiple times and trade down on resources. Um, and that's what's happened recently in Modern with all these one-mana threats and then more one-mana removal with Unholy Heat, uh, DRC, and Raghavan uh, all added to the format at once. So the more readily cards trade, um, the better it is to be on the draw. And so, yeah, I would say that's a little underrated. Okay, yeah, I, 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 can, I can agree with that. Uh, Cathal says discard versus counter spells. Um, I think it's properly rated. You know, we've seen, you know, if you time your discard stuff like just not firing off duress early in a game, but holding it until that turn where you really need to resolve like a specific spell. So, you know, you wait till turn five with your four drop so you can duress into your card or something like that. Like that was a very big level up moment for me when I figured out how to play duress a little bit better, better with that kind of thing. I would say counter spells are probably a little overrated and discards a little underrated uh, in part because of the mythology built up around blue and how dominant blue was as a color in the early days of magic. And that just happened to, that happened as a less a result of blue being a dominant color and more a result of unbalanced design. Um, though indeed part of it was unbalanced design towards blue being the only color with real card advantage. Um, and, and combined with the fact that the, the tempo cards, the creatures and aggressive elements in the game were so weak relative to the reactive elements. So that made card advantage all the more important and blue is the only color that had it. Uh, so that, that said, you know, I think people really like the idea of, you know, countering a spell and it never having a chance to do anything. And they also easily remember moments where they draw discard spells late in the game when they're bad. Um, but it's there's a lot of moments when counter spells are bad because you draw them and you're behind on the battlefield and you just don't have time to effectively use them. And then there's moments where discard spells should be better, but people fire them off too early. They're, you know, or they take the wrong card. Uh, so I think discard spells are, are actually more difficult to play with than counter spells. Um, and that makes them underrated because they're just underrated by virtue of people uh, misplaying them and then blaming it on the card rather than themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joe, Mr. English says of the buyback mechanic. I'm going to go with overrated because it's like pretty miserable once you get to the point where like you're just casting this literal same card over and over and over and over again, like the counter spell one or the bounce spell ones. Yeah. We're like pretty heinous yeah. like flashback is fine because like yeah the card is generally like over costed and you get one extra copy of it but when you're literally getting you know uh what was the what was the bounce one um capsize yeah you're getting capsized by like the 17th time from the same copy of the card yeah you're just kind of off it yeah it, i it's it's awful it's like this it's it's basically the difference between flashback and escape right Mm-hmm. Like escape was also miserable to play with and against. I yes. hate that mechanic. Like it's just yeah. too repetitive. So yeah, can't can't be anything other than overrated. That's what like the main reason. Like that that was the main thing people said about Uro is like you know they're like I just didn't like the fact that it was the same Uro four times in the game. You know kind of thing. All right. Uh, Flackle says bolt you. Um, probably still overrated. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah yeah i think i think right now it's underrated in modern but yeah sure yeah i think people don't understand just how dedicated you have to be to make a plays like that work you basically have to be all in or or nothing um obviously like you still bolt them in situations in your mid-range decks right uh, that's part of what makes bolt good but you know you're still not fucking turn one bolting your opponent so you know 
maybe properly rated, but probably overrated. All right. The Mountain Goat says serial numbered cards in relation to magic. And in parentheses, he says the next evolution of chase cards, Watsy will try. Um, if this is a thing that happens and they're cards that are playable in magic and like actual cards you need in your deck, I think it's severely overrated and I'm going to hate every minute of it because it's going to make them extremely expensive and you're going to need them for stuff. I'm not a big fan of extremely rare and like hard to find cards being important in paper. Fuck that shit. There you go. All right. Cathal says Hexproof or Shroud. I'm also going to go with a big overrated. I like interacting. I think it's underrated. I think stuff like that in small doses it can be very good. Uh, I can agree with that. I can agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. My we biggest. too much of it for a yeah, while. You know, you can't push them too much. I think, you know, they've made some mistakes and notable mistakes. Geist of St. Traft, Invisible Stalker for Limited, and the one mana ones because that cre- that's creates the linear Bogles archetype, but Bogles sucks now anyway. So uh, oh, hold that thought. <laughs> that's coming up. There, there's definitely some mistakes that you can make in hexproof, but there are things that make sense. Like you know, it's nice to have a you know six mana four or five hexproof in limited, so that you know your four or five that's going to stabilize the ground isn't just going to die. Um, and it's nice to have you know a flyer with hexproof that is kind of small and you have that option to like build on top of it and you, you force your opponent to interact in so much different ways. Like that there there's usefulness to hexproof. It's not just ha ha little kid nonsense. So, uh, and that's often how it gets portrayed. So I think underrated, but not by a, a ton, you know, it, the, you can't go overboard with hexproof. Uh, Joey. Hey, Joey. She says protection from uh, or like more protection from things like creatures, opponent than protection from colors. I think it's underrated. I like the fact that they're, you know, originally in magic, the only thing we had was protection from red, protection from white, you know, protection from a single color. And then that started changing. And it's a cool design space that they maybe haven't explored enough of yet, in my opinion. Well, I think they've got they've gone away from it. And I think they explicitly did because the, the ability is hard to grok for a lot of people like you know, there's always a classic, you know, what happens to your pro-white creature when they cast Wrath of God? Like, it, you know, and we, we know that, you know, it dies. But your pro-red creature survives the Red Sweeper. Like, you know, that that's kind of messed up, right? Um, so, and, uh, you know, so th- there's some counterintuitiveness, I think, with how protection works. And um, it ends up being, in competitive play, it often ends up being a kind of like lazy sideboard thing so i'm generally not a fan uh, i would probably say overrated but i'm not sure how rated it is that that's a difficult it's difficult to judge the baseline for protection you don't really hear much about it but personally i'm not a big fan gotcha gotcha all right and flackle says boggles you kind of answered it already i kind of agree with you mostly overrated for sure yeah boggles itself is it, it's incredibly overrated in, in multiple respects one the deck is terrible you should not play it it hasn't been good in modern in like five years at least it's so inconsistent, and uh, you know, it, it's surprisingly easy to interact with on a lot of different levels now. Decks are just too strong, um, so it's completely and wildly unplayable. And even when it was playable, like, it was heinous to play against. Though, actually, I will say one of the my favorite matches I've ever played in my life was against Bogles, and I I was playing. Gruel Eldrazi at the Eldrazi Grand Prix during during Eldrazi Winter. This was in Detroit. And I was playing the big Gruel Eldrazi version that went all the way up to Worldbreaker, right? 
uh, turns out that it was it would have been better. The better versions of Gruul were still more aggressive and played Lightning Bolt and Obligator. And I was playing like Talisman as another ramp card and Worldbreaker. But Worldbreaker ended up being very important in this match on day one. One of my opponents in like round four, round five was playing Bogles. And because they thought it was like a techie, you know, deck to beat Eldrazi, right? Uh, because by this time, people weren't playing the colorless version as much because it lost all the mirrors. Uh, so you didn't see as many chalices. Everyone was on uh, blue-white or blue-red. Blue-red was kind of the old version from the Pro Tour, but blue-white was very good because of Displacer. And then Gruul was pretty good. Uh, regardless, they were playing Bogles, and they had me, like, crushed. And I was, like, barely surviving, and I found a World Breaker right before I died. And I was able. I had so much mana. I was very flooded this game. And I was able to literally chump block with a world breaker over and over and over again and keep returning it and just casting it and whittling down all their auras until I had the battlefield stabilized and turned the game around. Why my opponent kept attacking, I don't know. Uh, they really shouldn't have, but they did. So uh, thanks for that. And it was super fun. But yeah, in general, Bogle sucks. All right. Fuzzy Dan says Bugles, the chip. Uh, uh, underrated. Yeah, they're fine. So uh, well, they're fine, and playing with them as claws on your hands is super fun. So okay, that's actually very. That's true. why you buy bugles. Come on. Yeah, uh, Joe Mister English says chips the gambling kind uh, overrated because they're fucking disgusting. <laughs> yep. Uh, K Fit says chips the British definition. Uh, love them, obviously. <laughs> Br- British chips tend to be uh, thicker, like towards a steak fry. I, I, I was gonna say that I don't like steak fries, so yeah. I, I like thin cut stuff, but. Yeah, so I'm going to say slightly overrated because they are far from my ideal of a French fry. Cafal uh, says chips, the American definition. I'm going to go with overrated in almost every way because they're like really bad for you overall and like blah, blah, blah. But I will say this when I want like a salt, cr- like a salty, crunchy treat, like a snack or something, they're one of the better ones. So I, I'm not a huge potato chip guy, but I do like corn chips and tortilla chips. Oh yeah, so oh, I'm on that. Yeah. I'm on that side of things. I would say potato chips overrated, corn chips, tortilla chips underrated. Okay, 100% agree with that. There you go. Like, I love tortilla chips and stuff. Like, give me some some wok and some salsa, like whatever. Yeah, and just give me edible plates to shovel it into my mouth with. Yeah, chips and salsa. Um, I'm in. Leo the Magic Man says chipping your tooth. Uh, obviously, it's like one of the worst things you could possibly do. Like, this is properly yeah. rated as awful. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Cathal says nails. I, I, um, take that however you want. <laughs> um, underrated. Sure, I'm gonna go with that too. No explanation. Uh, yeah, Gil says the West Wing TV show, and this is for Tannen. I'm gonna go with massively underrated. The show was pure gas. <laughs> there was like one season that wasn't that great or whatever, but like overall, I binge watched the shit of the show really fast. And for a show that started in like 1999, and me being able to watch it this year and enjoying it was great. Also, with a show that you know, it was about politics and I didn't, you know, have a utmost disdain for everything in it. I, I thought the show was great. I thought everybody acted really well. I just thought it was perfect. So. Okay. Next. All right. Joe Mr. says trivia nights that are explicitly geared towards casual people that pro show up at anyway. What? How, what is a pro trivia player? Like, I think what they're trying to say is, is Ken is Jennings like, hustling you at your bar, no, at your bar. No, no, I get what he's trying to like, what he's trying to get across here. It's like, you know, you go to those uh, trivia question nights, and it's, like, fun that you get a few of them right, and there's that one team, like, you just have no chance to beat because they're going to get every damn question right. You know, kind yeah. of thing. I, I get what they're saying here, yeah. 
Travis McCurry and I have won the last five times we've gone to bar trivia together. Yeah, I'm sure there's some people that don't like seeing you there, you know, because they just want a chance to win. And the last time we went, we were up by so much after the regular rounds that the bonus question, which was our 30 points, did not matter. We won by 46. And we and we misclicked a couple times. We should have been up by more. But fuck you, we get to play too. No, I mean, of course. Of course. <laughs> All right. Uh, Cathal says Microsoft. Overrated. Somehow Bill Gates has managed to whitewash his reputation as a giant asshole. Everyone knew he was an asshole in the 90s, and somehow we all fucking forgot. He fucking sucks. So does Microsoft. Go fuck yourself. All right. Uh, Gold says Innistrad. Uh, probably the most underrated set in Magic history because it's probably one of the best sets in Magic history. Yeah, but it, it generally is viewed in that sense. I would say properly rated. See, I don't know if it's viewed in that sense enough. Like, the people who drafted a ton know that it was gas, right? And it's the people who liked that standard environment and think it's gas. But, like, I think that set from top to bottom was an absolute, like, home run design-wise. Complete home run. Yeah, just, like, constructed to limited to it's just literally perfect. And it kind of pisses me off that they sullied its name by making this one not good. And Uh, they made shadows over Innistrad, too. Yeah. Both times we've returned to Innistrad, it hasn't been good. Yeah. Flackle says, any belly buttons? Um, properly rated, maybe, maybe overrated. Isn't any the more desirable one? I don't, I don't know either way. I think um, it's the more common one. It's weird for me because I'm actually like, you know, people like, okay, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to objectify people a tiny bit here. You know, like as a dude, you get asked sometimes, like I'm sure someone in your lifetime says, are you a boob or ass guy? Yeah. You know, or whatever. I'm a torso dude. Like, I don't know what it is, but, like, I I like that, that whole, like, hourglass. I don't know. I don't know how to explain this without sounding very bad. But, uh, so, I'm, I just like them all, so. Doesn't like feet, loves belly buttons. We're learning a lot about <laughs> I didn't today. say I love belly buttons or whatever, but. Uh, it's, I will say, that I think the new fashion for women now is showing off some, some of their, like, midriff, but, like, not the belly button. Like, they have the higher-waisted short now. Or, yeah, higher-waisted pants. pants have come back recently. It was all lowriders yeah. in the 2000s, and higher-waisted yeah, pants like, have come back. Now it's the section, like, above that to, like, the ribs, to, like, underneath, yeah. you know, your chest or whatever. It's, like, that whole little, like, that midriff section right there is exposed. It's, like, really different. Because, like, you know, when you and I were, like, in high school and something was big, it was just, like, all of that was open. Like, you know, think of, like, Britney Spears and all yeah, the it was all lowrider jeans. Shakira. Yeah, it was, like, literally lowrider jeans and, like, a bra. So it was, like, yeah. all of it. Yeah, so. Uh, the Hoppa says Diet Coke. And it got some votes for good and bad here. <laughs> On the thing. Um, all forms of Coca-Cola are overrated. I don't like cola. 100% agreed. Don't like, uh, just don't like drinks like that in general. All right. The cat- this one's going to be interesting. Catasonic Waller says The Sopranos. Um, I've never seen it at all. I, I really don't have a judgment here. So I have never seen it at all. I'm going to go with properly rated because generally it's seen as very good. Yeah. Uh, I'm not a big fan of the genre. I don't think I'll ever watch the show. It's poignant that we're talking about in a second because i think the movie comes out this weekend like the the new little thing or whatever uh they're making but, a sopranos movie yeah it's like a prequel kind of thing James I think doing die more. yeah but he's not in it it's it's him as a young kid he's like a teenager oh, okay or something okay. So he's like a different actor and stuff so like they're talking about doing some different stuff with it and stuff it's like in the universe you know what I mean sure, like sets sure. up the show or whatever blah 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 anyway but I'm going to go properly rated because of just it was a cultural phenomenon kind of thing as a TV show. Yeah, it seems like it's held up pretty well, too. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's kind of like West Wing in that instance where, like, people can still watch it and be like, yeah, it's great. Uh, Joe at Mr. English says, gesturing while speaking. Um, severely underrated. I do it a lot, especially when, like, I'm on camera and stuff because, like, honestly, what the fuck do you do with your hands? 
yeah. otherwise. Underrated. Like I used to get, uh, yeah, I used to get uh, talked about it like this a lot. There was a there's a running joke. Like the first time that I was on camera a lot was when I did the Hearthstone stuff, and these I I used to get a lot of hashtags on Twitter that just said pins because I always had a pin in my hand. He had a pin or a note card, right? And people were like, yeah, what's up with that? And I'm like, well, we're standing behind a desk for hours at a time, right? You know, it was like it was like the old sports center set kind of thing. You know, it's a guy standing behind a desk. And wh- what do I do with my hands? I don't want to be leaning on the desk. I don't want my hands on the desk. And then, like, I don't want them just, like, down by my sides or am I supposed to hold them? So if you give yourself something to hold, it's actually, like, very good for you. It's something you don't have to think about. You become very expressive. Ross can see me right now. I'm actually talking with my hands. I'm very expressive when it comes to that. He is. And also, like... Firm. And also, it's a big thing. Like, um, here's the thing: if you want to think about this, go back and watch uh, any movie with Brad Pitt in it, and pay attention to his hands during the movies. I'm not going to run it for you, but just go look at his hands. Hmm. He always has something in them because of that very reason. All right, Yeoman Five says blackout dates for event weekends. Um, what oh, do you think he's referencing here? They because there were. Um... Oh, I feel like this was something that happened like a week or two ago. So this was the twentieth. Um, it was. Oh no, this was. I remember it was re- August twentieth. This was no. The, I, I'm confusing it with something else. I was reading uh, earlier this week about the the Laver Cup, which is this tennis tournament that uh, Federer and Rod Laver and people have been putting on for a couple of years. But the ATB Tour hasn't really been supporting it that well. And, um, John McEnroe is like mouthing off to the press about how he wished the ATB tour would support the Labor Cup more because they want to build it up to like the level of the Ryder Cup. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they were like running other ATP tour events on those weekends. Sure. So like not everybody was there and it was so, you know, people don't care as much. So probably like overrated. And then. Um, you know, well, honestly, probably underrated. I like the idea of having like an entire event, you know, be the entire one event, be the major focus of the weekend. Like I think, Coverage should be a, a part of Magic, um, and it shouldn't just be like run as many fucking tournaments as you possibly can. Um, so I I kind of like the idea. I would say underrated. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Uh, the next one, this one kind of goes back a little bit to Sopranos. Catatonic Walker says the spicy gabagool. Um, probably underrated. That sounds delicious. Uh, I'm gonna go underrated too, and I know you don't get to eat as much recently, but I've been kind of back into cold cuts. I love cold cuts, so. Uh, Carnaol, I don't know how to pronounce his name, says LeVar Burton. Uh, properly rated. Yeah, properly rated. Every, if you know, you know. So, yeah. All right. Joe Mr. English says Storybook Brawl, the new teamfight tactic style game. I've heard nothing but great things, so properly rated. I've never played it. I don't think Ross has either. No, not a single game. I've heard the same thing. People try to get me to play it. I'm like, yeah, you would love it. People tell me that all the time about a lot of things. Yeah, I know. I feel like I do that too. Uh, I think we're going to go ahead and end it there. Uh, make sure that you check out our sponsor. That's Barrister and Man, Man with Two Ends, uh, if you have some time at home. Uh, really good gift ideas. Uh, the holiday season is upon us if you want to buy some stuff for that special person in your life or just someone that needs to maybe smell a little better. Make sure they check out Barrister, barristerandman.com. Uh, lots of cool things going on in there. I myself am going to be buying quite a few things for the holiday season as some gifts and stuff for friends. Uh, I am absolutely obsessed with their shaving stuff, so make sure you check out that. Their soaps are great. Uh, lots of really good scents and stuff in there, too. Make sure you check it out at barristerandman.com and use codes MTGRANTS at the checkout for 15% off. Tannen, Rock. I, go ahead. I just got a shipment in. What'd you get? I got a lot of stuff. Like a lot? Yeah, like like nine and things. Anything anything you're like really excited about? So I I got a bunch of uh it's uh I got Petricor stuff, which I'm excited Ooh. about. 
Shaving, shaving soap and aftershave balm. Okay, the aftershave petrichor, tell me how it is that has to be awesome. Yeah, I I like want my beard to grow faster, so I have to trim it, and I can use it. Just just shave your neck. Uh, yeah, but like, it's not it's not time yet. Um, and then I I they actually have a new um vegetable based soap. So all their soaps are Ooh. are generally based in lard. So now they have a vegan soap, and I just used that for the first time this morning. It was great. Um. You know, basically felt just like the the, the regular soap. It's a, it has a sort of orange color to it instead of the sort of white color that, that most of them do. Um, and then I got a, a new hand soap called Fern. Uh, haven't cracked that open yet because I'm still making through uh, the hand soap I have now. But I'm I'm excited. I, I love it anytime I get a new package from Paris Man. Yeah, I'm always super excited. Uh, sometimes if I don't need the stuff right away, I don't open the package. Like I leave it to like open later. So I'm like you know, excited about it. You get what I'm trying to say? So I get to kind of like save that part of it for myself. Like I've got one where um, it's got a product in it that I'm like restocking for myself. And I'm almost like, I'm, I'm right at the point where like, I've got a couple uses left. And so I'm like ready to uh, rip open the package kind of like Christmas morning. So looking forward to that. Uh, Ross, if people wanted to hear more of your opinions about Gabagool and other things like that, where would they go? Uh, first and best place is my Twitter. I'm at Ross Hunnids. Uh, you know, You'll follow me there and you'll be, you know, kept abreast of all of my magic comings and goings. And it's also a good place to um, uh, ask me questions. Then there is my written content on StarCityGames.com. My articles go up on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Uh, This week's article was all about... um, I sort of took a look at the decks that have been doing well up through last weekend and told you which decks I believe in and which decks I don't. And spoiler alert, mono green aggro and is it turns were two of the decks that I believed in. So uh, I nailed it pretty well there. But if you want to have a, you know a good summary of the decks that have been doing well and and get caught up if if you've been sort of waiting to dip your toes into standard because you didn't want to get bitten again like you have over the last two years, uh, that'll be a good primer to sort of catch you up in what's been going on for the first uh, the first couple weeks of. Uh, Innistrad Midnight Hot Standard. Then there is Versus Live, the web show I do twice a week with Corey Baumeister. We are on the Star City Games Twitch channel from 1 to 4 p.m. Eastern time, Tuesdays and Thursdays. Uh, just playing whatever is relevant for you know tournament magic, having a good time with it. Uh, I encourage you to catch us live because we take questions straight from the audience. If you can't catch us live, you can watch the VODs on the Star City Games YouTube channel on Wednesdays and Fridays. They go up a day late. And I will say that next week, Corey is actually going to be off because he's doing some prep for Worlds Commentary. And uh, so I'm going to be doing the show on Tuesday with Todd Anderson and then on Thursday with Brad Nelson. So a couple uh, veterans of Versus Live coming back in the booth for next week should be a fun time. So hope you all can make that. And then uh, finally, my, uh, my stream has been delayed largely due to this softball league taking up more time than I thought it was. Uh, but I promise you it's coming back soon. And if you want to throw me a follow on uh, Twitch uh, so you know when I get back to that, uh, I am Ross underscore Miriam on Twitch. So that's all the places you can find me. Tannen, where can people find you if they want sort of less inflammatory takes? We'll say. <laughs> sure. Uh, yeah, if you want to do the less inflammatory route, that'd be on Twitch, just Tannen Grace. And then on Twitter, it's at the Tannen Grace. But make sure you follow our podcast itself. On Twitter, just type in the name. should be very easy to find. From there, you'll find links to our Discord, and you'll find stuff about our Patreon. So make sure you do that. Uh, we really appreciate all our patrons at home. Thank you so much for supporting us, especially all that have been here with us for a very long time. 
And uh, we love you all very much, and we'll see all of you all next week.